You are listening to Faithless Brewing, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the Spike Road. Each week we design new decks for tournament play. We put our creations to the test and share our findings on the air. Today we present part two of our Brewer's Guide to Wilds of Eldraine. Young heroes, wicked combos, and tasty gingerbread snacks await as we review every card that's fit to brew in Modern and Pioneer. That's all coming up on Faithless Brewing. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Faithless Brewing Podcast. I am David Robertson, and I am joined by the CEO and the lodestar of the Faithless Brewing Podcast. He is Daniel Schriever, and it is spoiler season. Dan the man, what is going on? Hey, hey, I'm doing great, David. How are you? I'm well. Uh, I think we have the full spoiler up now, so it's uh, we get to kind of rub our hands together and start making brews. It's it's pretty exciting time in the uh, magic world. Absolutely, yeah. They dropped the whole thing in about a week. And we are going to try to tackle this whole thing in just two episodes. So last week's episode, Lawson and myself, we did our best. We tried to get through as much as we could. This set has so many cheap drops. We didn't even finish the two drops, David. Yeah, you guys were struggling. And there's, well, especially if any one drop puts something randomly in the graveyard, you have to talk about it like it's going to see any play at all. So... (laughs) Correct. Like this has surveil on it. You can go crazy, quote unquote, had all these notes in our, for people who are subscribed to the Patreon, <laughs> lots of notes from Dan, how you can go crazy with these, uh, surveil enablers. And I'm just like, every card list, it just sounds so terrible. I just draw and be like, Jesus, uh, why, why is this happening to me? Have you ever had an enhanced surveillance in play, David? You could surveil three off of that. Theory. I have never had a enhanced surveillance in play. I have cast the, uh, the one blue black, enchantment that gives us a card and takes a card from them <laughs> i've played entire modern leagues with enhanced surveillance because if you have that, <laughs> well you didn't play all five matches because you owe three drop but I, I i take your point i think i played four matches <laughs> it's okay it's... <laughs> you have a dragon's rage channeler and an enhanced surveillance okay. that means every spell feels enough to feel an underworld breach so there you yeah. go yeah seems like you broke it honestly <laughs> <laughs> now you play a one mana fairy so you can really go crazy with this rail grixis why why would you even play death shadow <laughs> exactly all right that's last week's show this week dave and i are just going to try to power through the rest of the set and we got a million cards to get through so we might as well just get to it well before we do that of course we have to do a little housekeeping at the top and we want to give a big welcome to our two newest patrons they are Arincio. Is that how you would say that, Dan? I believe so, yes. All right, Arincio, welcome. And Connor B., welcome to both of those individuals. Uh, we really appreciate the support. Uh, just a reminder, if you enjoy the podcast and you'd like to support us, the best way to do that is to go to patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing. And yeah, this is the, a great time to be part of the Discord. There are people talking about cards, getting excited about cards, getting told not to get excited about cards. Uh, it's It's... It's the spoiler season, but instead of just like 
miserable people on Reddit. It's just like really enthusiastic brewers, like swapping ideas, getting really excited. We know <laughs> we're going to be disappointed when we run some of these brews out against, you know, the, the big bads of various formats. But this is the time. It's like spring training. You know, everybody looks good uh, getting off the bus, as uh, Bud Grant used to say about the Minnesota Vikings. So that's what that's what's happening right now. It's, it's a great time to be on the Discord and swapping ideas. Got some great content coming out of the Discord as well. Yeah, absolutely. We talked about Law 11's Substack. He's got a new one out this week, ranking the top 30 cards that he wants to brew with in Pioneer. And we got a new one, a brand new one from Odin's, who said it's his first time trying to write some magic content, but it's like a love letter to the two otters in this set. And both of them, I believe, are on the docket to discuss today. So... And it was very, I would say, encouraging to me that he and I are on the same page. The things he was thinking about, or at least how I was thinking about the cards, whether they're right or whether they're right or wrong, or whether the cards are good or bad, is it's good to see that like you're thinking in a correct way. Like, okay, someone else who's having similar success is thinking about these things in the that exact way that I am. So I'm at least, you know, if I'm crazy, someone's in the car next to me. <laughs> exactly. All right, y'all know the drill. We start with the cheapest cards and work our way up the curve. That means we're starting with lands, and there is just one that we did not get to yet. It is the blue-green member of the tapped lands cycle, Restless Vinestalk. ETB tapped, taps for green or blue. Activated ability, three, green, blue. Until end of turn, Restless Vinestalk becomes a 5-5 green and blue plant creature with trample. It's still a land. Whenever... Restless Vinestalk attacks, up to one other target creature has base power and toughness 3-3 until end of turn. Yeah, you know, it's funny. They spoiled the white-black one first, the Orzhov one, and we were very unimpressed by that. I think the other four are all significantly better than it. I, I think people would have been more excited for this cycle if they had spoiled one of those, one of these first. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a very powerful card, especially, you know, we, we don't have that deck anymore, but in the first Eldraine, like Blue-Green Ramp was the deck, right? And people still have to hear me talking about Gross Spiral to this day. Um, so this is kind of a cool card. Like you could imagine a ramp deck that's playing like one of these maybe. Um, and then it turns your elf into a kind of a beater, right? Sort of a werebear for people who are old like me in the late game. You, you turn on your vine sock, assuming they don't have a fatal push left. You're, you're getting to attack. Um, I'm a big fan of the tortoise. I hope we get to talk about that a lot today. Tortoise makes this cheaper, makes this bigger. And then if you're also playing the green D and D land, you could even animate that in the same turn. The D&D &D land is a, a base uh, power of zero, and then it gets like plus one, plus one for each ability. So if you're actually adding a ton of power, if you Restless Vinestalk to the D&D &D Greenland, and again, that's a lot of mana. You kind of huh. need the turtle to, to make it all happen. Um, but the turtle's adding power to both of them, and it makes them both cheaper to activate. So you actually get to do it for like, you can activate the D&D &D land for just a green, it makes it a 1-1, one, one, but it really makes it a 2-2 a two, two with the turtle. So it ends up attacking as a 4-4 four, four with the vine stock, and the vine stock only costs 4. So, I mean, we're imagining a deck that doesn't exist. and But this is after we trade all our resources. We're getting to attack for like 10 damage with our lands for 5 mana, like or 6 mana or whatever. That, that's just, that scenario is at least intriguing enough to think about. Just messing with base power is a cool space. Uh, it's yes. one of those places that has a lot of backward compatibility, but hasn't been like formally explored um, as a set mechanic yet. And, and just the fact that ramp creatures in general tend to be weak late, right? This turns them into something. That, that's that's the, like the base, the base line for this. I think just in general, the thing that's going to hold these lands back is that 
The D&D lands are really good, way better than at least I thought they were when they were spoiled, and they're significantly better than all these lands, I believe. Um, so you kind of, you need the, the fixing to matter, uh, or you need to just have a ton of extra mana and you don't mind. You've got like your curve built so you can every once in a while take an entire turn off to play a tap land. Yeah, the, the mana bases in Pioneer have gotten so solid that there's very little reason to put an always tap land into your deck unless it's a triome. Right. So... And with that, we move on to the one drops. We got a beautiful little card here. Candy Trail. An artifact food clue. One mana food clue. When Candy Trail enters the battlefield scry 2, activated ability 2, tap, sacrifice, Candy Trail. You gain 3 life and you draw a card because it's a food and it's a clue. Yeah, like deceptively simple, right? It- the clue and food were compared immediately when they were both made. This is both. <laughs> it even scries when it comes into play. So it's very similar to the blue artifact that you also, of course, love because it's another draft uh, common. The blue artifact that comes into play, scry two, and then it's four mana sack it, draw two. This is basically that card, only you never have to pay four. You can get the card out of it. And instead of the extra card for two mana, you pay two less mana and get three life. I think this is just better than that, honestly. I think so too. I mean, that one, it has applications for like blue devotion, I guess. Witching Well did not turn out to be as powerful as I feared or hoped. I was looking back at my early analysis feared. of Eld- <laughs> Well, I mean, it was it was such a great card. I mean, Urza was legal back then with um, Mox Opal, I think, was still in, in that format. So I was like very interested in what the future of artifact decks looked like. And I had this big article about. You know, where are going to be the most impactful cards from Eldraine? I think I had Emery up there as number one. <laughs> Once Upon a Time, Oko. I got most of it right. I had Mystic Sanctuary on that list. But like Witching Well is just like the one card that was like, <laughs> I also like, yeah, this is card is going to change the way we build artifact decks forever. <laughs> um, that turned out to not be the case, but maybe Candy Trail is that card. Yeah, I mean, I really like that you can turn it into something for way less. And if the three life matters, if you can find a way for that to matter, that's really interesting as well. So, I mean, honestly, I'm surprised it gives you a scry too. I think they could have just printed this without the scry too. <laughs> and it would still be interesting. Well, you mentioned uh, power creep a lot in your um, pod with or the previous week. And this is the kind of power creep I like. On small cards that are certainly never going to be broken, uh, unless you're going to write another article about how Candy Trail is going to change how we build our artifact decks, but <laughs> um, like adding Scry 2 to this does not break the format. It just makes like a card that maybe was playable, like just a little bit more interesting. So I like rewarding these like role players is a term you like to use. I like rewarding them. I like making a best in class type of role player a little more attractive as opposed to like giving shielded the fifth point of toughness or whatever like yeah and just to elaborate a little bit on why i think this is actually an important card um one of the things that will keep me busy for hours is a card like mystic forge something that lets you just play off the top of your deck and there's many cards like this you pair that with a mana engine of some kind maybe a cost reducer and you can talk yourself into a scenario in which the only thing holding you back is a glut of lands on the top. So being able to manipulate the top of the scry is the perfect thing. And I've gone so far down this rabbit hole in the past. I've been playing like inquisitive puppet or whatever that lets you <laughs> scry. I, I remember that. Yes. Uh, so this is even better, right? This you can come play for free. If you have, I don't know, like a burgie or, you know, something that reduces the cost of artifacts by one. Um, 
And yeah, it just it just lets you power on through. So anyway, you'll you'll be hearing more about Candy Trail, I'm sure. But we must move on. Yes. All right, our next card is Cheeky House Mouse. One white mana for a 2-1, so we call that a Savannah line, no abilities. But it has a, it's an adventure creature. So Squeak By is a sorcery for one mana. Target creature you control gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. It can't be blocked by creatures with power three or greater this turn. So we've seen a plethora, and I don't even know how many cards. I, we, I wish Damon was still recording with us, because he and I would always go on and on about how cool it was that they were like powering up Savannah Lions. And of course, <laughs> we don't play White Weenie, so we never actually play the cards, but we talk about how great they were. This is a in a long line of Savannah Lions I probably won't play myself, but I actually think this card is really good. <laughs> Wait, it looks kind of great. Like, you know it's good because they gave it a bad creature type. When it has a bad creature type, you know they're pushing the card. Well, I think they're going to, like, be ripping off Redwall in one of their next sets. So that's I think right. Mouse is going to actually be... There's going to be a Mouse Lord that's, like, going to be really good. Because all the mice will be cheap. And so I think they're going to accidentally make, like, one or two of them very good, is my, like, official prediction right now. Are they going to un- unveil, like, the Disney Lorcana Universes Beyond crossover <laughs> next week? <laughs> Mickey Mouse. Mickey Mouse. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> Minnie Mouse. Yeah, you got all the mice. But yeah, I think this uh, the squeak by um, is going to be really good, specifically in red, white, heroic. It is another heroic spell. You get to s- stick on top of your like they were playing a bunch of other crap. Like all their creatures suck, mm-hmm. except for the one one that has double strike. And uh, you guys talked a lot about the uh, red instant that gives plus two plus oh, and then this uh, one of the rolls. You did yeah. not mention red, white, heroic, but you were talking about prowess creatures. So mm-hmm. I assume you're mentioning the actual creature that matters, which is this. The one one and it connives, and if you, so like that, those two cards together are gonna make right away at Heroic very good again, I think. And cheeky house mouse, I think, is like a perfect card for that because one of the things that happens against them is you're like, okay, they didn't draw their trample card, and now I've got my shielded in play or whatever. Like cheeky house mouse just lets you give your double strike guy functionally unblockable in the late game because there aren't that many cheap creatures in play, and then or if you it's if it has trample, they just can't absorb very much with their toughness, right? Like. Children cannot block, so they have to put their, you know, whatever fable token in front of it, and that's not enough. They're just going to die. So I think this, like, text, we, we, we're we not used to seeing this text. Mm. Can't be blocked by creatures with power yeah. three or greater, but it actually, like, just means your creature gets a trample, like, in, in that deck, which is also very good against Mono Green for whatever it's worth. Mono Green will not be able to block with all of his big butts, right? Like, it won't be able to block with its troll. It won't be able to block with the five, six. Um, so... You're just going to freaking house them. Like, they can throw an elf in front of your double-striking, trampling, you know, Kanaibi guy. He's going to do, like, 14 damage to them. So, yeah, I think this card is just really good. Yeah, I kind of forgot about Illuminator Virtuoso. I haven't really played Prowess since that card was printed. Yeah, we're, we're not heroic players, and it's like, there's not a lot of brewable space. I think people just came up with a great list and just housed me a bunch of times and just dominate Mono Green. And if Mono Green is allegedly the best deck, which people who don't play Pioneer very much always insist on... You have all the tools to just roast it. I mean, there is no way Mono Green can beat what the new version of Red White Heroic is going to be. So if you just want to get after them and just board up to a way to beat Red Black, I I think it's a good place to be after rotation here. So David and I don't really play prowess aggro decks. So we're maybe not the best qualified to talk about this next card here, but luckily Odin's is. So let's talk about the Elusive Otter. Elusive Otter. Blue mana. For a 1-1 creature, Otter. The creature has prowess, 
And it has creatures with power less than Elusive Otter's power can't block it. So one mana, one one prowess with some evasion built in. It also, on top of that, has an adventure, which is strangely enough a green adventure called Grove's Bounty. X and a green sorcery distribute X plus one plus one counters among any number of target creatures you control. X can be zero. That still counts as a spell cast to trigger your other otters or whatever else you got going on with prowess. But it does not count as targeting, just as an FYI. You can only target as many creatures as you're giving plus one plus one counters to. Oh, interesting. Otherwise, you could just tap a green and target all your creatures with zero counters. So so I guess the question is, David, let's just say they were interested in the 1-1 one, one prowess. How does this stack up to the other existing 1-1 one, one prowess creatures? And do we care about the green half, or are we just interested in having another prowess one drop? Well, yeah. I th- first of all, to your point about Odin's article, he really walks through a lot of scenarios here. This is one of the few one-mana prowess creatures. I don't know how many they ought to play. You know, he makes a case that maybe you want the full 12 threats. Maybe he even uh, proposes adding additional threats. I think you could just treat, uh, as Odin's kind of suggests, the green half as a flavor text. Um, you know, you could maybe play a land or two, you know, that comes into play untapped early in the game. You could like replace an island with a, you know, botanical sanctum or something because you mm. don't need that many untapped lands in the deck. Um or play like a, a one of the um, yeah mana confluence. I play that city of brass. Yeah, or mana confluence. But yeah, functionally, this is just like an additional threat. The one versus two toughness doesn't matter that much uh, unless it's against specifically red black sacrifice. And there's a lot of times where you're going to be able to attack with this and cast spells after uh, combat, where this is actually going to be way better than um, some of your other options, depending on how your deck is built. Creatures with power less than Otter's power can't block it. So all you got to do is just play a bunch of stuff pre-combat and then just plow through, right? Yeah. Or if you're playing like modern, you, you know, you've got your uh, Phyrexian spell that gives plus two, plus two, for instance, that gives functionally plus three, plus three to the Otter. You know, all of a sudden you're just (laughs) like, (laughs) you're doing a lot of damage and creatures are not able to get in the way. Yeah. I mean, it looks really good. Can't be blocked by walls. I mean, I know that really isn't <laughs> like that much of a thing anymore, but you know, like Wall of Omens is was a fine card when like Prowess was a a deck that people played a while ago, and you know it's not good against Elusive Otter. Yeah, I guess Arboreal Grazer would be the card that I would see be laughing as <laughs> just slip on by. This otter stops your right. opponent's dreams. That's right. Now, will there be like a green-blue spells deck? I don't think so. So I think that Odin's is exactly on the right track, that this is just the replicative copies mm. of cards that we know are good. You know, Prowess and Pioneer has taken a big back seat since the banning of um, the card from Strixhaven. Uh, Expressive iteration. Yeah, it's, it's banned, so I don't even think about it, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, maybe this, is, this, is a, this might be exactly what they need. It's just like very consistent one-mana threat, and then it's, it's time to just put the clock on. All right, so that's a very good blue rare one drop. This next one here is also a blue rare one drop, and I think it's really sweet. I'm surprised you're kind of down on this, David. Well, I started out thinking it was sweet, and then I decided I didn't like it, and then I liked it again, and now I'm back on, like, I think this card is bad. Uh, This is Sleep Cursed (laughs) Fairy. So this is a blue mana for a creature fairy, flying ward two. It enters the battlefield tapped with three stun counters, and you can pay one a blue to untap sleep cursed fairy so if you do nothing else you can play it on turn one 
On turn two, it does not untap. It loses a stun counter. It has two left. Assuming you play your second land drop, you can spend your whole turn removing a counter. Fine, you can bluff a counter spell, which is what everyone always says online. Then turn three, it still doesn't untap. It removes the counter. Um, but then after that, it's you know got like a pseudo vigilance if you want to think about it that way. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of combo stuff with the um, like necrotic ooze artifact because this is like a reasonably playable. A cheap drop that that grants this untap ability to cards that could tap for two or more mana, but as just like a fair card, uh, yeah, I'm just not buying it. Well, fair card in a deck with no synergy, sure, but it's a fairy and a wizard. I guess fairy would be the most important creature type, given that there's all these new fairies matter cards. And I mean, for some reason, some people don't like one ones that surveil one. I, I'm not sure why, but some people are like, <laughs> what other fairies are there? I'm like, okay, well, here's one, right? This is a legit 3-3 three, three flying ward 2. It takes a while to come online, but I imagine that if you're leaning into cards like the fairy thought sees, the fairy minus 3 minus 3 card, you know, you're not like in a huge hurry to kill them. You're going to interact and you're just going to kind of sit there. Like, it, I don't even think you have to bluff a counterspell. It's more like you bluff the untap and dare them to attack, right? Because you have wards, so it's not like you're going to get blown out by a fatal push in response to untapping. They can't realistically attack into this unless their creature is bigger than 3-3. Well, after turn 3. What do you mean? Its untap ability does not untap it. It says if it would become untapped. It Paying the 2 mana just removes a counter. No, it untaps it. I don't believe so. I, I I think the reminder text is explicit to the point that it does not do that. If it would become untapped, it does not say be, during your untap step. No, the the last ability, one in a blue, untapped sleep cursed fairy. Yeah, I think the way that stun counters work is they every time you go to untap it for any reason, the stun counter overrides that untap instead. Okay, I see what you're saying. Okay, so that's not as good as I thought. Yeah, that's so I thought the way you did it at first. If I'm right, maybe I'm wrong. This will be an embarrassing document. But, <laughs> but <laughs> I kind of like it if you specifically play it on turn one. If you told me this is always going to be my opening hand, I'm almost okay with it. Because then you can play the two mana Phyrexian Arena that you guys talked about. And then you're enchanting up a creature with Ward 2 that's going to be like around for a while. Hmm. That's drawing you a card, I guess. But the problem is we drop all these scenarios and that's like if you play a turn one, because if you play this turn four, you're just like, man, this is just not a card. Like <laughs> I can't block with it if I'm ahead or behind. And I don't think the, the fairies matter cards are playable in Pioneer um, at all. I don't I don't even think they're close and I don't think there's going to be a fairies deck. So what about uh, soul diviner removing counters for profit? Yeah, I mean, something like that. I mean, that's what I'm saying is like you have to have some like crazy synergy. Like you can't be doing normal stuff. Like I'm a deck that's playing like Fatal Push and Thoughtseize or, you know, Shock and Bone Crusher Giant. And I'm just like also playing Sleep Cursed Fairy. You need to be like, yeah, doing something. <laughs> hmm. Like, you know, so we had proposed a deck with Omen Hawker and the 2 3 guy that removes tokens and the, um, the Planeswalker that untaps. Mm hmm permanence like that shell would be interesting with sleep curse fairy okay so tyvar's plus one allows you to remove a stun counter yeah what the hell stun counters what the hell all right sorry about that i 
No, but it's really unintuitive, right? Yeah. Like you see the text and you're just like it untaps it, but like the way that it specifically has a reminder text and it's just like, oh, so that's they're really just explaining that they're crushing your dreams like on the card. Yeah, I just like refuse to see that. I just don't believe that that's how it works, even though it says so right in the card. But okay, so that yeah, that that uh tome diviner deck we were talking about. That's perfect tome. There you go. We cracked Well, it. I'm gonna play that this week before <laughs> rotation. So or before the set releases. So after I two three with that, adding a worse card to it, we'll see if we can take it to the next level. <laughs> yeah. I will play with this card, but I, I don't think it'll be very good. All right, last one drop, David, and this is just a quick question. So there's talk of a new Bogle in town. Toadstool Admirer, Green Mana, 1-1 Ward 2. Oof. Is that enough of a Bogle to actually build around this? I am not a Bogle's player, but I think Bogle's in general is a very underrated deck, mainly because of uh, Light Paws or whatever. So I think if just adding some density, again, it doesn't have to be the full ward because... Light pause is letting that first enchantment resolve is the big one. Mm. And they have to spend the removal on light pause. Like they just, so all their cheap removal is going to have to be spent on that. And so if they're trying to like stomp this plus ward two, I mean, we're talking about a turn four play, assuming you haven't added any toughness or something. So I actually think that um, this is going to be close enough. Oh, really? It, it's much worse against control and blue black control has a very playable edict. Is are like big things holding back um, the 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 template of this deck, but I I think this is an upgrade. Without again, I'm not an expert. If if someone who's better at at the this deck says it's not playable, I, I would defer to them. But so three mana for a fatal push does not scare you. You feel like that's that's a favorable exchange. Well, they're going to fatal push because the thing is the pioneer version of Bogles plays fatal pushable creatures, so you're not mm, dodging true. dodging that anyway. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think you just have to live with it. <laughs> okay. All right. I think that we move on now to the two drops. Yes. Heart flame duelist, heart flame duelist, one and a white human knight, three, one instant and sorcery spells you control have lifelink. So a little call back there to soul fire grandmaster. On a 3-1. So that's not bad. But in addition to all that, you get an adventure. Heartflame Slash. Two in a red instant. Heartflame Slash deals three damage to any target. Man, you get so much out of a card these days. Am I wrong to think that this is just like a great mid-range card? Um, so it depends what you mean by a great mid-range card. Like, I think this is significantly worse than Bonecrusher Giant. And I don't think Bonecrusher Giant is particularly good right now. So... But Bone, Racer, Bone Crusher Giant is certainly a fine mid-range card. Well... Like, the fact that you don't get to ramp... You don't get to play this on curve is a huge downside. And there's just the context of the format. Like, three damage on turn three is much worse than two damage on turn two because Bone Crusher Giant can kill Lanowar Elf if you're on the play. This is terrible against Mono Green. Play or draw. The three damage kills nothing that matters. So, I, I just, like, context-dependent-wise, I don't think it's very good. I guess what I'm envisioning is that this is a card that is more successful than Bone Crusher in like heavily polarized matchups. Because if you find yourself needing to pressure them, I'd much rather have a two drop that's a three one. And if I find myself needing to defend, I don't particularly care that I have to pay more for the for the spell because I'm going to get that lifelink later. I have the option to play a two drop. Like I think it's a better offensive card and a better defensive card, even though it's less overall per casting than Bone Crusher. Yeah, it could be. I guess your question was about mid-range. This is like much, much worse against red-black, like in the mirror. 
Mm. The way that the format lines up, like red black actually is the best deck to play bone crusher against because <laughs> they play four harvester and four fable. So you just always get your two for one. Yeah. Um, in mid-range matchups, this is never or very rarely going to be a two-for-one because you're going to have to play it out early to try to pressure them because you're you're going to have to be the beatdown. So yeah, you're you're envisioning playing this some realistic percentage of the time. Uh, you know, I don't know if you don't want to give me a number as a, as just a two-mana three-power creature. I think I would do that against Lotus or against any kind of control deck. Okay. And then against like mono white, you would try to get your two-for-one here if you could. I would try, but I feel like being able to play a 3-1 for 2 is just as likely as a stomp to maybe buy me a trade. Maybe that's not true. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wish this had lifelink itself. Yeah. Because I don't think you're actually going to get a lot of life out of this ever. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. I'm going to keep my eye on this. It is a human, and it is a, it is a way to get burn into humans. So that's kind of an interesting, like if you have a mostly red and white human deck and they printed an insane uh red human a card that happens to be human at three mana so that that's very possible that like they just want to if you just need reach you know in your human's deck then maybe this is a card you need we were talking about wrecking our bank buster two weeks back and yeah i've been told by sources i trust that having three power is the threshold if it's three power or more it matters in pioneer so this passes that bar at least so i'm, I'm interested but yeah i hear what you're saying <laughs> all right we move on to the collector's vault a card that's probably terrible you warn me that it's terrible but i'm gonna read it anyway it's two mana artifact its activated ability is two and tap draw a card then discard a card then create a treasure token that's it yeah it's such an interesting card um so you don't go up cards ever unless you're getting value out of the discard or your graveyard but you are getting a you know pseudo ramp spell um you are generating more things to sacrifice to sir ginger every <laughs> turn and if you have omen hawker you're looting for like omen hawkers is tapping to create a treasure to loot and create a treasure to loot yeah yeah yes exactly yeah and i hear what you're saying that all of these combinations are just not powerful enough to justify this card but i'm just like wondering if i were if i were a controlled deck what's the thing i most want to do on the end step i would much rather create treasures like there's no card that does that it's just almost too broken you just like sit on treasures and then you can deploy your threats with counterspell mana up like anytime that the control deck spends your end step cycling their shark typhoon or cycling their triarm or whatever it's like yeah sure whatever they're getting closer to a card that matters but nothing has materially changed on the battlefield but this lets you do that because it has that built-in rummage and they get a treasure. So now you're like, your window is closing pretty fast. Um, it seems like super dangerous. I'd be very, very stressed if my opponent had this thing active and they were control deck. So maybe it's just a good sideboard card then, like in the control mirror, as opposed to, you know, a lot of times people go bigger. They're playing the seven mana, seven, eight uncounterable. They're playing, you know, four mm. uh, mystic disputes or whatever. Like this is a card that is not mystic disputable. Um, it doesn't rely on having a three power creature, which is why control decks don't side in like bank buster, hmm. but it does give you that mana advantage. And we were enjoying the mana advantage when we were playing all those cards that were making, uh, power stones or whatever the heck they're called. And then, you know, right. like discarding that land, we were able to bring back from the graveyard. This sort of does that. It costs a card, but 
Yeah. This does also, if you have that 1-1, one, one, uh, we like, we play this card a lot. One and a white for a 1-1, one, one, it looks at your top four for an artifact. And then every time an artifact comes into play on a turn, it gets plus one, plus one counter. Ingenious Smith. Yeah. So this lets you make an artifact on their turn and your turn very easily. So that's kind of interesting. Okay. All right. I'm going to keep this one in my back pocket. Speaking of mana advantage, what do you make of the Raging Battle Mouse? Raging Battle Mouse. One red rare mouse. Second spell you cast each turn costs one colorless less to cast. Celebration at the beginning of combat on your turn. If two or more non-land permanents enter the battlefield under your control this turn, target creature you control gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. So I've read this like 50 times expecting it to give a plus one, plus one <laughs> counter or haste. And it doesn't do either of those things. So either this second <laughs> spell casting one, costing one less to turn is like way better than I think. Or like something just went wrong here. Like every other card is like pushed to the max. And this is like not even a two-two. I just I don't know what this feels like a like an uncommon to me. Like, or like there's a, a piece of text missing, or well, it's because it's absolutely broken with Mickey Mouse. We haven't seen it. Yeah, it was the Mouse Lord. <laughs> yeah, I was noticing that as well. I was shocked it did not give a counter. So that is making me think the cost reduction has got to be pretty good, right? It's interesting that the cost reduction is active immediately. So if this is your turn to play, you're not necessarily done for the turn. You can follow that up with like a ginger brute or a bomat courier. That will be your second spell. It will be free. That also triggers celebrations. And now you're getting in there with a 2-2 bomat courier. And if I'm just building my deck, assuming I have Raging Battle Mouse, like what kind of cards am I going to put in? Like I, I actually, I really need to put in generic costs, right? Red pips are not so good with this. So I need... Those one mana artifacts, so I need one in a red. So I need reckless impulse type cards. Um, it would be an interesting deck. I don't know if it'd be any good, but I kind of just want to try it and see what happens in case this mana advantage is so good. So I played the blue-white enchantment that made your second spell cost one. It was a uh, one of the classes. Yeah, but that was one it paladin class or what was it? <laughs> I think it was monk class or something like that. Monk class, bad. yeah. And that ability turned out to be way weaker than I thought it was going to be. So maybe it has to just be maybe on an aggressive creature. Again, this isn't that aggressive. Two mana for a two power creature is way below the curve now. Like Blood Tithe Harvester is a more aggressive creature than this. It's two mana for a 3-2 that can also interact with your opponent. It, it's just crazy how weak they make these monocolor cards. And then they're like, oh, the two two drops we let actually be powerful. It's weird they're oppressive. It's like, just make this card a little better. Well, this lets you distribute the bonus. And if you use this to play like a, a ginger brute, you're getting two power haste right there. So it's not all terrible. This needed to be a counter or, or to grant haste or both. It should really do both. Because mm. then what are you going to do next turn? You have a two one and a one one in play. <laughs> like your opponent's like, okay, you're, are you going to tag me for three? <laughs> We're going to have another celebration. We're going to. I mean, maybe this card will be great. Maybe this card will be great. I don't know. It just seems really weak to me. So maybe I'm just not understanding like the play patterns. It's certainly possible. All right. Any love for the Scalding Viper? I wanted to like this card. So this is one red Scalding Viper, another adventure creature. It is a two mana, two one. Whenever an opponent casts a spell with mana value three or less, Scalding Viper deals one damage to that player. So similar to the Eidolon, although it's only your opponent, but it's half the damage. 
And then the sorcery side is one in a blue sorcery adventure, return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand. So a sorcery speed version of Brazen Borrower. And that can target anything. That can target your own stuff too, if you want to. Yes. Chain yeah. Okay. So yeah, for some that's reason. A good point. I mean, yeah. Do you think this card is good? I thought it was a three-one. I see the two. It's two-one now, so I'm like a little <laughs> bit less interested. But they have like a several cards like this. Rare cycles. There are two drops with two mana adventures. So you do get a ton of stuff out of the card, but you want to play them on curve, you're, you got to sacrifice the adventure and then they're always like just below on the curve. So cool design, cool that you have the options. Yeah, one-sided Eidolon. I'm guessing that just isn't good enough. Yeah, I felt like they were pretty cautious on a lot of these and that you can tell that they just tweaked up all the costs mm. um, on a lot of them just out of reach, I think, of playability. Even in standard, I don't think this card will be particularly good. Like, a sorcery speed bounce spell is very, very weak. Like that's that's just not even close to playable. Um, so this is a miss for me. I think it's an unfortunate miss because this card looks cool. You could imagine if you just fiddled a few of the knobs that it would be good without being broken, but we don't live in that world. Next up, Likeness Looter. Blue-black creature fairy shapeshifter one one flying and it's got a bit of a lazav text on it it has x likeness looter becomes a copy of target creature card in your graveyard with mana value x except it has flying and this ability activate only as a sorcery and then on top of that it has the ability tap draw a card then discard a card so that's the looter the uh, eponymous looter yeah um I mean lazav the multifarious copying a cruxo that that was a card that, you know, our, our friends Brian Madden, Jiggy Wiggy went deep on that for a while. And at times it was almost good enough. I don't know if having eight of them makes a difference. Yeah, I like this loot. Like this can loot and then find the card that you want. I just like one toughness at two mana is really tough. Sorcery speed activation is so tough. <laughs> I mean, like if you spend four mana to turn this into a shielded or whatever and your opponent kills it, I mean, it just. It's such a blow. <laughs> yeah. You can't do it in response to removal. So this card is great. I mean, this is the kind of card I would love to play around with. And they just like made it a little too weak in a bunch of different ways. So I think this is not a card I'm interested in. Next up, Extraordinary Journey. XX Blue Blue Enchantment. Oh my gosh. <laughs> what the heck is happening here? XX Blue Blue Enchantment. When Extraordinary Journey enters the battlefield, exile up to X target creatures. Each of those cards, its owner may play it for as long as it remains exiled. So that's a permanent exile. You can replay it by paying mana. You can bounce your own things. You can bounce their things. And then on top of that, Extraordinary Journey says whenever one or more non-token creatures enter the battlefield, if one of them entered, excuse me, if one or more of them entered from exile or was cast from exile, you draw a card. This ability triggers only once each turn. So you're going to get that card if they replay their card that you exiled, or if you just blink something or exile something. This is so weird. Yeah, so you don't even have to play it uh, for the XX. You just play it as a blue-blue that targets nothing, and it's sort of like a... Hmm. What was the artifact? Clover? The the Teamer Clover okay. like Adventures? So. Every time you cast your Bone Crusher Giant from Adventure, you will get a card. 
Um, as you point out, Dan, every time you blink a card, uh, every time, you know, if your opponent, uh, if you're uh, see the winds in something, you know, like you're, there's just a bunch of weird cards that actually interact with this. And, and so it sort of could just be like a two mana card engine. Nor in the weary. I mean, this card is insane with nor in the weary. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a card every freaking turn. <laughs> All right, maybe that's better than my uh, enhanced surveillance blue red modern deck. <laughs> so yeah, I think it's a little clunky. Obviously, like blue blue to just play this engine, and then you have to play a bunch of kind of like strange cards. You know, there's the one in a white exile target permanent, or excuse me, target non land permanent, and you can cast it from exile, and you can target your permanents or your opponent's permanents, and your opponent can play them, but they cost two colorless more. Mm-hmm. So that becomes kind of an interesting card. Is that it delays them, which gives you a chance to kind of collect all your cards from this and you don't mind it as much later so i think there might be something here it's, it's just a very interesting card i do think you need to be playing normal cards like probably adventures like you just need a normal way to accrue your value though like you don't think you can be going like super deep i see but just like bounce their stuff cast this brazen borrow or draw a card i mean that seems pretty good to me yeah, a blue blue card draw engine. I mean, I I love the design space. I love the challenge. So, thank you to whoever put this in the set. It's super cool. All right, we move on to Mosswort Dread Knight. Mosswort Dread Knight. One in a green human knight. Three two trample. When Mosswort Dread Knight dies, you may cast it from your graveyard as an adventure until the end of your next turn. Okay, so what's the adventure? Dread Whispers, one in a black sorcery, you draw a card, and you lose one life. This seems sweet. Yeah, I think this is the best adventure card that they printed this time. I'm, I'm like kind of going through my, my Rolodex here, but I think this is the best one. It's one of the only cards I'm interested in brewing around, so the only adventure cards. How would you brew around this? Like When I look at this, I'm just like, man, fair rock, fair jund, no synergies required, just value for days okay so i think people are kind of over i thought that at first i was like man this card's so good but it's really clunky to actually get your value out of it if you play it early right like if you're an aggressive deck this is not a very good card so you play it on turn two and your opponent stomps it you're like mm-hmm. oh ho ho <laughs> i cast this from my graveyard so you spend two mana and lose a life mm-hmm. to draw a card and put this in exile mm-hmm. or excuse me yeah back in adventure and taking a turn off to do that early in the game is something you rarely can do if your opponent is one of the better decks in the format. You just can't do that. So you have to be a very slow deck. You have to be a very controlling deck, and you need a shit ton of mana. So I think one of the decks I'm going to propose is like a Black Green Adventures list where we're playing like all eight elves and the Innkeeper and Moss Ward Dread Knight. So we just have all this mana to... And, and Dread Knight is our end game and like turn one elf mm. into turn two innkeeper plus moss war dread knight is like the man to get the dread knight back and you get the card from the innkeeper because i think hmm. in an aggressive deck like so let's just well i'm just picking a deck although there's no green in it but all these heart of kieran decks i've been playing i've been really really liking the um three two like underdog and i think that's way better than this card because on turn two they're killing my three two a lot and I want the Underdog to just be around to bring back. If I want to accrue the value for the Dread Knight, I have to spend my whole third turn casting it from Exile uh, to just quote-unquote go up a card. I guess you go up two cards. You draw a card and you exile this from the game. Um, 
And so you, you just can't play an aggressive deck with this. I, I think you have to be super, super rock, like whatever the, on the scale of rock, you have to be like up in the four and five drops. Uh, and this would maybe be like your only cheap drop other than all your cheap interaction. Like you're mentioning crewing bank buster. Like, I don't think you want to play another value engine with this. You just, none of those cards are affecting the board. So you don't think it's enough to treat it as a three, two for two for most of the game and just let it die. And then eventually draw my second or third copy and recur that one. You think it's just too weak to treat it that way? Maybe. I mean, I, I think that might be what you'd have to do if you're, if you're going to just think about it. But the thing is like just playing a three, two yeah. with trample. Okay. We don't, we don't play those cards. Mm-hmm. And so, like, playing the underdog at, on turn two and letting it die, if that's what we're going to do, I'd rather have the underdog. Because that means underdog's better on, like, turn two, most turn threes, maybe turn four. This is better, like, turn five through, you know, 12 or whatever. Unless you have a ton of mana lying around. Or, you, or you're playing in a matchup where you don't have to be fast, but... Yeah. Okay. I see what you're saying. So, yeah, like, this is better than underdog, I think, most of the time. But you have to build your deck the right way. I don't think you want to be aggressive. Um, and so you need a ton of interaction, I think, like cheap interaction or cheap mana sources, I think, to maximize this card. Because I was thinking like, oh, you could sack it and do all this, you know, deadly dispute with it. And it's just like, man, so I have to sack it and then next turn I have to pay another two mana to like exile it for this to come back. I mean, it really asks something of you right now. And then the draw and lose a life is really bad into an opponent's shield rid. <laughs> so you take a ton of damage to get this guy back. <laughs> but I think this card's very cool. I think it's very powerful. I mean, do you think this has like modern playability or is that like? No, I don't. Yeah, I think you just can't afford to spend your mana that way in modern on the draw side. Yeah, I think people are just underrating how bad that the draw side is. Like two mana to draw a card is like already something you never would do. And two mana lose a life to draw a card. You're just really putting yourself behind the eight ball. Hmm. Fair enough. So yeah, I think there will be a black-green-rock deck. I think it will be really interesting to see that deck compete against red-black. Because I think like Fable gives you like a similar amount of value without taking any mana and actually giving you a treasure token. So I think like red-black, if for lack of a better word, will like beat black-green in these matchups, even though black-green will end up die with like five cards in their hand. Like it'll always be like, oh, it's just about to stabilize. It's like, yeah, I know you spent two mana to freaking draw a card and take three damage with my shielder and play. We have the new land that makes food. I mean, it's just the perfect yeah, card to turn the corner. It's good, exactly. All right, we got a weird one here. Picklock Prankster, one in a blue, fairy rogue, one three, flying vigilance. Adventure, free the fey, instant, one in a blue. Mill four cards, then put an instant sorcery or fairy card from among the milled cards into your hand. So that's a two mana adventure mills yourself four cards you don't have the option to target somebody else so you're milling yourself for four if you find instant sorcery or fairy you get to essentially draw that card and then later you can play the picklock prankster as a one three flying vigilance for two yeah this card's kind of sweet uh like a four mana instant look at your top four for an instant or sorcery is not um that comes with milling Mm. is is not a card that we have right so we have Look at your top four and put any card in there at instant speed. But this mills. So if you want an instant or sorcery, I'm just going to say a card like Neoform. Mm-hmm. And you want something to be in your graveyard. I'm thinking like the uh, the artifact that um, unearths itself for just green, green. 
just throwing that out there. That's not an option. <laughs> oh boy. Then this allows you to neoform that on turn three, <laughs> like a reasonable amount of the time. That that's the thing that happens. And if you're playing a neoform deck for some reason, this is just another body. So you could play like one three drop, like a value three drop in your list because you're just gonna have a bunch of random two creature bodies rolling around. So I know you said that you don't think that fairies is going to be a thing. Maybe because the fairies themselves are bad, but this is a pretty good fairy. Right? Like if I'm just going to be trading resources, I don't mind spending my mana this way. Like maybe you pick up a second copy of Picklock Prankster and then you're just going, you're going nuts at that point. Or you just whiff, right? Milling all four is not a huge disaster. You still get your one three later and now you've got four for delve. Or much more likely, you just pick up a fatal push, right? You've sort of got a two for one. Yeah, this is, I think, by far the best fairy. Like people haven't been talking about it that way, but I like this as like a four of in a deck that wants to play four dig through time because this is an instant speed adventure. The other thing is they made all these random adventures sorcery. You talked about this with mm. the um, the lithophage yeah. or whatever. So like you can leave up your sensor or whatever your two mana counter spell, and if they play into it, fine. If they don't. Then you just do this and you're looking for the dig that mm. you're powering up with a spell. Uh, and then whatever, your one, three blocks or chumps, I mean, or whatever, you can find something to do with the body. Well, we can imagine that later, but. It's kind of great. <laughs> yeah. I, I, but yeah, I, I'll be doing stupid things with it, but I think smart people will be, be just like, this is a, just a fine value card. I think they made the body very weak because of how good the adventure is. And so I think that's like a really interesting design space. Like, can you find something of value for a one, three vigilant creature to do? Maybe not, but the, the front half is like good enough. I don't even think the body's that bad. Like one, three flying vigilance for two. That's pretty good. I mean, it's not going <laughs> to put any pressure on anything, but I mean, it's not, it's not a one, one. I have higher standards than you. I, I do not want to pay two mana for a one, three vigilance. <laughs> All right. Well, if that's the case, how do you feel about paying two mana for a 1-1? One, one? A questing druid, specifically. One in a green human druid. Whenever you cast a spell that's white, blue, black, or red, put a plus one, plus one counter on questing druid. So that begins as a 1-1, one, one, and this is the Quirion Dryad text. <laughs> if you're a dinosaur like us. Yes. This is one of the, uh, the old school... Miracle Grow. Exactly. Uh, what was I even playing? Like, proto cantrips like peak like portent this is like the first deck that no i think it was playing brainstorm without fetch lands i think mm. it was like the first deck to play brainstorm right, right. days maybe so quirion dryad or would would grow whenever you cast these cantrips and that was basically all it did it was like you made a big guy <laughs> um questing druid does the exact same thing but on top of that you get the adventure seek the beast one in a red instant adventure exile the top two cards of your library until your next end step, you may play those cards. Yeah, so really important because uh, a friend of the podcast, Rhett, got this wrong as well. Until your next end step is not the same as the red cards that have been doing this. Mm -hmm. They say until the end of your next turn. Mm -hmm. And that phrasing is very important. So this is instant. You can cast it on your opponent's end step and then get all the cards. But if you cast it on your turn, your next end step is happening, you know, after your second main phase. <laughs> Right, and that's significantly worse, like way worse. Yeah, so so if you're imagining, okay, I'm just going to make a Naya PNLR deck, That's maybe that is the thing to do because this card does fit in there. But the mana, of course, is always a concern in Pioneer. And this is not a good card. Like a lot of times in the Pia deck, you cast 
uh, what are the the two cards called, Dan? Just basic on them, of course. I think Ren's Resolve, Reckless Impulse. Yeah, whatever. You cast Ren's Resolve on tur- turn two. You cast Pia plus play a land or whatever and get your 1-1 right away. You cannot do that with Questing Druid. You have to pass the turn mm-hmm. and then cast it as a, on the end step. And, you know, it's worse during your, like, showdown of the Scalds turns and things like that because you lose those cards. Right. For specifically the, the Pia plus delayed impulse effects this is just not going to compete um the comparison i thought of was like abbot of carol keep which is like a, just like a prowess to drop that sometimes gives you a card and if if gruel prowess ever becomes a thing i could imagine this being better than other two drops but there is no such thing as gruel prowess yet who knows yeah i mean i actually envision this maybe just powering up like a red green mid-range list Oh, yeah. Where you're actually, instead of playing like Mana Elf on turn one, you're actually just playing like red removal spells. And then this card is just like your like beater slash whatever. And like you're mostly red. Or you could play it in like a teamer list with like counter magic. Like you leave up sensor or seek the beast kind of, kind of a deal. Hmm. Interesting. Like the mana gets tough and I, you know, it's red removal is not that much worse than blacks. Um, but then like, are your how many green cards do you want to play? Cause you want to play lots of red cards to trigger your questing Druid, you know, in, in these old formats, they had all these dual lands. So you're, you know, you really, you want questing Druid to almost be your only green card. It's hard to splash just for like a four of right. And play like mostly a blue red deck that is for questing Druid. That's, that's difficult to do in pioneer. Um, what do you think about in modern? Just nah. not even close. He just can't play one toughest things anymore. <laughs> they have to have an ETB, and this is not quite an ETB. I do like that it doesn't actually draw a card, so it doesn't trigger Bowmaster. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. You got a window to sneak this in on their end step and then really quickly play a questing druid and try to grow it before the Bowmasters gets you. I think this is a lot better than Abbot of Carol Keep, which is a card that mm. I'm on, almost the only person in Pioneer who even considers playing Abbot, so. Okay. I think this is like a card worth brewing around. I'm going to like build a red green mid range list okay. that somehow is like not playing very many green threats and is playing like mostly red cards. <laughs> All right. Next up Regal Bunnicorn. Regal Bunnicorn. It's a bunny and a unicorn. One and a white creature, rabbit, unicorn, star, star. Regal Bunnicorn's power and toughness are each equal to the number of non land permanents you control non-land permanence you control so that counts the bunicorn so it starts as a one one and everything else grows it and that's all it does it's just a giant monstrous two drop so am i wrong to think this is just like the biggest tarmogoyf we've ever seen yeah i think this is a, a fair comparison to tarmogoyf in pioneer um and i think we kind of already have a deck for it which is the red white convoke Mm. You know, you're already playing the the eight one drops that oh make an art, another artifact. So just that into this, this is a watch wolf. You're playing the red uh, sorcery that makes three one ones. So you know, whatever the turn it attacks, you can make it even larger. And then the convoke guys, uh, of course, those boards just get really wide. Mm-hmm. Now this doesn't solve a lot of their weaknesses, right? Like anger kills all the cheap creatures, and then actually makes bunicorn small enough that it probably also dies. Mm-hmm. But at least if you're just if the first thing you want to think of is like what makes a lot of permanence and uh, those, you know, they're already playing the eight one drops that I would be like tempted to play. It's worth noting this works really well with a lot of the um, like, again, you and I love this card. So we'll just keep talking about it. The the three two guy, (laughs) 
that that uh, comes into play and curses himself. Oh yeah, that's right. That that's two permanents on one mana. Um, there's the uh, black artifact that makes a one one blood blood tithe harvester fable of the mirror breaker. Um, so this also works if in your celebration deck, which I, we're gonna get to pretty quick. My favorite celebration card, or if you want to play the mouse, <laughs> I guess <laughs> this this would go in there. So yeah, I I think it'll be interesting to see how good this gets. Uh, it, it might. I think it's going to be very good card, like a like a playable card in, in Pioneer, like not a meme. Yeah, I, I think the two ways to approach it are one, you just treat this as a Keldon Warlord, Sign of the Wilds type. Just I'm just going to vomit creatures into play, and this will be my biggest one. And if that's the case, you're going to get wrecked by Anger of the Gods. So be it. But it's just it's just huge. The second is to say, all right, I really want to explore the Celebration space. Even if I'm not actually going to play Celebration cards, I'm going to be playing cards like Voldaren Epicure, cards like Thraben Inspector, cards like um, that sleeper thing we were talking about. Just anything that makes a roll token. And if that's the case, like, what's my payoff for having all these random non-creature game objects? I need something to make those good. It can't all just be bargain. And yeah, maybe Bunnicorn is it, you know? It's just like, it's a randomly a 4-4 because I have two bloods and a food lying around chariot as mm. chariot in a food deck you know like this doesn't have any synergy with the food but if you're just going to make a bunch of food permanence it's not the right color like the food decks i've been building are in preparation for this set are all blue green and black green but yeah i mean this card is very interesting to me yeah okay david <laughs> you get this next one here the iron crag the two mana mana rock we've been waiting for in Pioneer. <laughs> the Iron Crag legendary artifact, two mana, taps for a colorless mana. That's all you really need to know, but it does other stuff. Whenever a legendary creature enters the battlefield under your control, you may have the Iron Crag become a legendary equipment artifact named Everflame Hero's Legacy. If you do, it gains equip three, and equip creature gets plus three, plus three, and loses all other abilities. So in theory, if you're ramping out on turn three to play a four mana legend, let's say you're playing Shieldred, we'll just say, in standard, then you could make this into, what was that? Battle Gear? <laughs> There's a three mana artifact from the original. <laughs> Volshock Battle Gear. Which Volshock Battle Gear. Mirrodin was the first set that had equipment, so we didn't really understand what was good, what was bad. That card being relatively large and uncommon was one that we were like, oh, this has got to be a great equipment. That card sucked. That sucked. And reading the Iron Crag and realizing after like 10 minutes that all it did was become a Volshock Battle Gear. <laughs> I was like, what the heck? That card's terrible. So yeah, I'm not in for this equipment side at all. And you can't change it back. Well, you don't need to. I'm only going to change it if I already have another Iron Crag in my hand. I don't, I don't even think you should consider that text. Like, just delete everything after it adds a mana. I see. Okay. This is the only two mana mana rock that is an artifact yes. artifact in our bargain set. Um, mm. So yeah, I'm I'm planning on playing this a lot to cast <laughs> bargain spells on turn three. I, I won't. I'm not going to spoil anything, but that's my main goal. I'm I'm happy for you, David. I'm happy for you because I know you have much love for Tablet of Completion, the one that's like. A two mana mana rock that doesn't give mana right away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or maybe ever. <laughs> you, many times you've proposed lines where you're like, hey, like oil it up. We got to get the oil counters so that we can eventually get a mana. This one just makes the mana right away. Yeah, it's almost too easy. <laughs> like, it's not, it's, it might not even be fun. 
it doesn't even come into play tapped. Like previous versions of this have come into play taps. This is actually kind of efficient. Like if you had a one drop to follow this up with, Iron Crag turn two immediately play something else. Like that's like a, like a candy trail on turn two. <laughs> <laughs> then you play the Mystic Forge on turn three. You're going nuts at that point. Yeah, I, I mean, I think uh, it's. I think they did a very good job. Like, first of all, it's hilarious. They're so opposed to two mana mana rocks, but there's eight one mana elves, which are way bigger design constraints to their power, which is why mono green feels so oppressive to people. Like in the formats that had one mana elves, they were very careful about not printing three drops, right? Like you could ramp to Corsair or something like that. Like nothing that was threatening. And then in other sets where they didn't have mana elves, they made really powerful three drops. I'm, I'm thinking about the troll and, and the, mm. the four five. But they've combined them both because they only designed for standard. But they're like, oh, like getting a two mana mana rock or like rampant growth is like absolutely an insane power creep. It's like turn one mana elf is so much better than rampant growth. And Iron Crag, like look at all the conditions they put in. It's artifact. They can only make a, a, a colorless. Uh, and I'm still going to play with it. So I guess they <laughs> read me like a book. <laughs> it's legendary. I mean, being, being legendary hurts. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's still good, though. I think it's still good. I, I will be playing this. As a four of in multiple decks with no creatures and certainly no legendary creatures. Like, don't ignore the rest of the text. You don't have to deal with that. All right, last two drop. A little dark horse here from Modern. Up the Beanstalk. Up the Beanstalk. One and a green enchantment when Up the Beanstalk enters a battlefield. And whenever you cast a spell with mana value five or greater, draw a card. So... For two mana, it replaces itself. That's pretty good. Now, now we can actually consider what the rest of the card means for the game. We've cantrip, we've replaced ourselves. Now we can imagine ourselves casting solitudes, casting leyline bindings, casting furies, uh, sign of Draco if you like that. You're getting that free card every time you do it. If you have two up the beanstalks in play, you're getting two free cards. So it's it's not totally out of the question that this is actually a thing you could try in modern, which we haven't said for many of these cards in this set. I think this is, again, I don't know very much about modern, but if you made me pick, this would be my second best card for modern other than the uh, upgraded undying effect. Huh, that good. Well, I think that for a while people were playing the uh, like the elementals and the whole appeal was, oh, when I flash in my solitude, it's better because I have my Risen Reef in play. This is like a Risen Reef that's way harder to interact with, um, that doesn't die to all the removal that's good against your elementals. And um, I just think in general, like the Leyline Binding decks just like need value that's very cheap. Like they don't have good two mana plays other than just Ren. And so this just seems like a very good thing to be doing. Replaces itself when it comes in. It replaces itself right away. Yeah. I mean, I will say the fact that it draws is really bad in the Bowmaster <laughs> format. Like, that part is bad. But Risen Reef is unplayable because of Bowmaster as well. So this is slightly less unplayable because of Bowmaster. I'm wondering if Enchantress would consider this. Um, I mean, there you're only going to trigger off Leyline Binding. But that's maybe still... I don't know. It's an interesting card. The fact that it replaces itself just makes, you know, you can imagine not drawing that many more cards from it and not hating it is, I guess, the main point. True. It's kind of funny that it wants to be in a Karuga deck, but it, it doesn't meet the Karuga requirement. <laughs> All right, David, I think we've made it through the two drops. Three hours into the set review, we have finished the two drops. Yeah. <laughs> it's uncharted territory. We go on to the threes. 
We're moving from the playable cards to the less and less playable cards. Greta Sweet Tooth Scourge. One black green legendary creature human warrior. 3 3. When Greta Sweet Tooth Scourge enters the battlefield, create a food. Activated abilities. There are two of them. Green, sack of food, put plus one plus one counter on target creature, activate as a sorcery. One and a black, sack of food, you draw a card, you lose one life. So yeah, all the color pairings uh, have their like flagship uncommon for limited. They kind of tell you what they're supposed to be doing in limited at least. And Greta's is just like the closest to being like constructed playable. She provides a food in the colors other than maybe blue-green that want food the most. She also generates uh, an ability to trigger Fatal Push, which again is like this weird corner case in Pioneer where all these effects are way better than you think. Um, she makes a food herself, so she gives you value if she dies right away. So yeah, I, I don't know if this card's like good enough, but in a black-green mid-range food list, which I'm the only one building these decks, <laughs> and so therefore I get to decide what cards are possibly playable because <laughs> I will be presenting the 60 cards when we talk about them, I will be putting probably one Greta in most of these before you or Rhett talks me out of it. <laughs> yeah how does this compare to the the goose mother which is a 3-3 flying for three that makes a food well i think they go in different decks but i will be playing with both of them the goose mother's awesome mm. gild the goose turn one into goose mother turn two into like sir ginger attack with a goose eat your other food grow sir ginger i mean that's so good <laughs> like it just kills kiora right if they if they go you go goose they go elf you go Goose Mother, they go Kiora. You just kill Kiora if you play Sir Ginger. Huh. Interesting. You just mow her down. I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> I mean... And you drew a card <laughs> and scryed, which is another favorite thing you love to do. Yeah, if, if they have a Planeswalker, sure. Sir Ginger is unbeatable, but... <laughs> but that's the thing. In your artifact deck, you're normally like, oh, like, when you're playing Greta, it's like, it sucks to have all these artifacts around when they're playing Karn. So Sir Ginger getting to go in the black green and blue green food decks is so good because the card that always F'd you up, like and you're, you're playing all these sweet mid-range threats as, as LA11 talks about, it's so nice to have a card that's just randomly really good against Karn. It just freaking roasts him. Like play this, sack the food that you have if you have other food lying around. Like Sir Ginger gets plus two, plus two from each green mana that you tap permanently. Okay, that's pretty good. Scry. <laughs> All right, next up, flick a coin. Flick a coin. Two in a red instant. Flick a coin deals one damage to any target. You create a treasure token and you draw a card. One of those cards that when you see it's a common, you see it costs three, you're just like whatever. And then you go looking for comparable cards and you realize this is just way better than all previous versions of this effect. Like, there isn't anything like this. It's instant speed. You don't have to do any discard shenanigans. If you just want a treasure and a card, like, this is the best option. It's I, arguably even better than Prismari Command. Yeah, I, I had not thought about this card very much. I, you know, I, I roll through these, you know, just highlighting cards I find interesting. I saw that you had written something underneath it and kind of just, like, made a mental note and came back. So, when you say better than Prismari Command, correct me if I'm wrong, the only deck right now that's playing Prismari Command is um, Creativity in Modern. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't really see any play, but I guess... I mentioned that because that's one where it's like, okay, three man, I'm going to fire it off and at least I'm getting a treasure. So as much as I had to hold my nose and take the loot or the shock or whatever else, like at least I got the treasure out of it here. You don't have to choose, right? If you just, you want a treasure, you get a treasure. You also get your card back. You get your card back. 
You don't have to splash into blue and you might even kill a creature. So it, it's just like way, way, it's like it's all upside. Yeah, I guess it depends on how often Prismari commands destroying an artifact, um, which maybe isn't very often. I mean, I don't know that this is better than Prismari command, but I think it would have to be better than Prismari command to play it because I don't think Prismari command is playable. I mean, how much of that is because it's a two color card? Like this could go in anything. Yeah, I just three mana to do a damage on turn three. I mean, you really enjoy getting a treasure is what I've noticed. So uh, maybe I'm just not valuing treasures correctly. Well, sure. I mean, creativity, that's, that's what it's all about, right? But I guess I'm saying in creativity, most often it loots and makes a treasure. And so, yeah, you, you don't replace itself, but maybe looking one card deeper is better. Yeah. I think that this is better than commanded that situation. I I think. Okay. Well, yeah, I, I certainly don't know. I always think of Prismari Command, like we tried to play it as like a fair card and I hated that. So you're saying just as a combo enabler, Flick a Coin is the, is the card we need to be playing. So possibly Creativity and Pioneer as well. I mean, compare it to I mean, Stir and Lesson, right? How, how many times have you been like, Stir and Lesson, this is a card. If I can just go three to five at instant speed, I'm going to be set. Right? This is kind of like that for Red. <laughs> This is worse than Stern Lesson is my very, very strong opinion. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not convinced. I think you should actually try it. I guess we could play Stern Lesson 5 and 6 or something. Doing <laughs> one damage is, is basically almost textless is the problem. But if the treasure's really good, pump Sir Ginger. <laughs> exactly. All right. Next up, Back for Seconds. Tell us about Back for Seconds. Back for seconds, two and a black sorcery, bargain. You may sacrifice an artifact, enchantment, or token as you cast a spell. Return up to two target creature cards from your graveyard to your hand. If this spell was bargained, you may put one of those cards with mana value four or less onto the battlefield instead of putting it in your hand. So functionally a blood for bones, only instead of sacrificing a creature, you have to sacrifice the bargain uh, material. So either an artifact, enchantment, or token. And instead of getting a creature of any size into play, you're limited at four. So you kind of, this is not like a reanimator card, right? You don't get to cheat your seven mana boom boom into play on turn three. So in that case, it's not a blood for bones. Well, it, it, but it functions in the very same way. You want another creature in the graveyard or, or two. Uh, you want an enchantment in play. Yeah, I actually think uh, because of the 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 mana restriction. This is not like a main deck card. This is not a card you should be like actively trying to cast on turn three. I mean, I guess it would be a sick play if I cast it on turn three and got a four drop into play, but then I had to like set it up. You know, how did I get the four drop in the graveyard? Oh, you know what card does it? I've, I mean, I've already got the list. Oh, you do? <laughs> There's a certain saga that's one in a blue enchantment <laughs> comes into play loot. Oh, no. <laughs> more saga number two loot you can put exactly two <laughs> creatures in your graveyard on turn three and you can get one of them back and one of them into your hand so you end up a mana up and a card up oh so you're gonna you're gonna bargain away the modern age before you get the vector glider yeah you can sacrifice the vector glider as well by the way but on turn three you can you'll have looted twice already with an enchantment in play <sighs> i i hate that that's kind of plausible if we could just retire Vector Glider. I built a list and it looked pretty bad because what happens if they counter your back for a second so you don't even have the Vector Glider? <laughs> you don't have anything. You just looted. Although you like looting more than most, so maybe you're excited that's, that's about true. that. That's true. I am. <laughs> but yeah, the, the, so let's say in this deck, you get you put a shielder into play on turn three and then you get 
whatever other creature back, you know? That's not terrible. All right, what's next? Uh, scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Um, scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. <laughs> Lord Skitter, the Sewer King. All right. Two and a black for a 3-3 three, three Rat Noble. Whenever another rat enters the battlefield under your control, exile up to one target card from an opponent's graveyard. At the beginning of combat on your turn, create a 1-1 one, one rat creature token with this creature can't block. So it's kind of a rat lord, but it doesn't actually pump the other rats. It just makes rats every turn. Yeah, disappointing that it's at the same spot on the mana curve as the actual rat lord, um, Karamox the Rat King, from All Will Be One. So, yeah, these 1-1 rats that can't block, I'm not super optimistic for them. We've seen a similar lore. We've seen General Kudro that lets all your humans exile cards from the graveyard, and, and that's just, like, fine. It's not super important. So we're mainly looking at just, like, a bunch of bodies. But he was actually a lord. Yeah, he was actually General a lord. General Kudro, yeah, pumps here. I will say this does trigger celebration. So that's that's one thing that I just want to note. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't die, it, I mean, you don't automatically get the second rat. I mean, you don't even necessarily exile a card from a graveyard. Yeah, I'm not probably not going to put this in my red deck unless I really have to. <laughs> I think I think it's just worse than Graveyard Trespasser unless the celebration matters to you or or just getting a bunch of bodies matters. Right. I guess, what was that card? The Jadar, the ghoul color, where we were like, oh, if we can just get rid of the decayed zombie for profit every turn, we could deadly dispute it away. This is kind of like an Ophiomancer that you can play in one-on-one, but there's a big difference between a Death Touch Snake and a 1-1 one, one rat that can't block. That can't block, yeah. So yeah, you need to be getting a lot out of that token to play this over a Graveyard Trespasser, I think. Yeah, that's fair. All right, next up, Rowan's Grim Search. Two in a black instant. Bargain. You draw two cards and you lose two life. If this spell was bargained, Look at the top four cards of your library, then put up to two of them back on top of your library in any order, and the rest into your graveyard. Now, that actually happens before you draw two cards and you lose two life. So you can have two modes. The regular mode is just instant speed, three mana, draw two, lose two. And the bargain mode, for the same price, you're going super deep, right? So you're first potentially looking four cards deep, and it's up to two, right? So if you don't like any of those, you can just bin all four cards. And then you do the draw two and lose two lives. So you're potentially going six cards deep looking for something with the Rowan's Grim Search if you bargain this. Yeah, so they keep printing better and better versions of this card. It's funny, I was watching some old, like, uh, magic, like, pro tours and stuff while I've been, like, doing stuff at work. I've been working on the weekends a lot. And, you know, like, Reed Duke is playing Read the Bones, which is two and a black sorcery, scry two, draw two, lose two. And this is so much better than that. It's absolutely insane. Like. It's instant speed instead of sorcery speed. That's already a huge upgrade. Okay, you don't get to scry too naturally, but if there's something to be bargained. Um, so yeah, I don't know exactly like where this would go, but this effect is like very powerful at three mana. Uh, I jokingly have hatching plans into this. It's like an insane <laughs> amount of cards. And because uh, it sacrifices on the cost, they can't actually like stop you from sacrificing hatching plans. So you get your card there no matter what. So yeah, I mean the... Um, there's that Saltai enchantment that lets you exile cards from your graveyard for colorless oh. mana. This could, in theory, put five cards in your graveyard and then draw two, as Dan outlined. Interesting. Um, 
and in theory find that you know there's a lot of enchantments in that deck maybe i i don't know exactly where this would go i think you really have to compare this to deadly dispute um because deadly dispute doesn't cost life it's a little cheaper you still draw two cards obviously the selection's worse but you get a treasure um but what kind of stuff are you sacrificing? You know, uh, Rowan's Grim Search gets to sacrifice interesting cards. You talked about the one black mana. They discard a card. Mm-hmm. It can sacrifice the Trial of Ambition. Uh, one in a black, your opponent uh, sacrifices a creature. It can sacrifice the two in a black. You draw three and every spell after that, uh, you take a damage. So, yeah, this card just seems really interesting to me. The fact that it's instant speed means maybe it needs to go in a control deck, but do they have enough fodder for it? So I, it also is a powerful card that has interesting deck constraints. So at some point, we'll have to just like do a bargain week and figure out what you actually do when you're trying to build a bargain deck, right? In a bargain deck, you would actually be getting an advantage from getting rid of enchantments, tokens, or artifacts, or at least going neutral. And we have to like round up all the enablers that meet those criteria and who knows what we'll find will we want this particular card maybe right like this one's good at delving it's good at setting up the graveyard it's got a lot in common with shadow prophecy a card that we liked a lot for modern um because it's so easy to get domain in modern shadow prophecy two in a black instant you lose two life some go into the graveyard some go into your hand right it's very similar this one you know assuming we have the bargain fodder to set it up it's just easier to cast um well it's easier to cast <laughs> it's the main point it looks deeper yeah it's it's kind of an upgrade on that and maybe for that reason it's enough to like try to see what what a shadow prophecy style card could do in pioneer i also like that this card isn't like a total failure without the bargain mode like you can mm-hmm. cast if you don't have an enchantment like it's not the greatest thing in the world to cast a three mana a divination that costs you two life but that's a you know a playable card i mean it's not Instant speed. You don't yeah. lose the game. Yeah, exactly. So so that's what I like is that the, the fail mode on a lot of these cards, if you don't have celebration, if you don't have bargain, is actually high enough that like they're not punishing you for trying to do cool stuff. Next up, otter number two. Frolicking familiar. Two in a blue creature, otter wizard. Two two flying. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, frolicking familiar gets plus one plus one until end of turn. So notably, that's casting instance or sorcery spells. That's not quite the same as prowess. But it's a 2-2 flying for two and a blue. We call that a wind drake. The adventure side. You get all that plus an adventure. Blow off steam. Single red, instant. Blow off steam deals one damage to any target. Nice, clean, spike field hazard, and you get a prowess flyer later in the game. Yeah, and it's a wizard, which is a very relevant type. I actually think a blue-red wizards list could exist uh, at this point. Um, you don't have to even go all in on the like prowess creatures if you don't want. But yeah, the fact that mana elf is such an important part of the format, and everyone needs ways to kill them, and this is just a free way attached to you know an upgraded windrake later is is very interesting to me. I've been burned by most three mana prowess creatures in the past, so I'm not leaping to put this into prowess decks <laughs> even adelie's seem like i should have been so great but it's just it's hard to justify that if you treat this as a spell then yeah it's a spell with an upside it doesn't quite replace spike field hazard because that one you can kind of talk yourself into it being a land and this one you never can i mean as someone who's playing like three spike field hazards when people were playing zero i am uh in love with just 
adding as much of that effect to my deck as I can. Okay. Like three spike field hazards, three, two frolicking familiars, and then like a bunch of other wizards. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's go time. <laughs> Again, Odin's uh, makes an interesting case for this in his article. So people are on the discord. It's definitely worth uh, checking out. He discusses both this and the other otter. Uh, I think he even proposes uh, some lists at the end. And uh, he agrees, like, the ability to kill mana elf is so important. And even if you're attacking with your other prowess creatures, right? Like, normally, like Dan says, it sucks. You have this tap out to play a three-mana prowess creature. It seems so bad. Instead, you get to attack with these other guys, you know, shoot something for one, make it weaker with your, you know, so your prowess creatures can get in. And then if you have mana at the end, you can play your your otter. So I, I think, it again, this card also naturally curves into itself, unlike the other cards we were discussing that I was less enthusiastic about. All right, what's next? Another adventure card, Kellen the Fey-Blooded. Two and a red for a double strike, two, two human fairy. Another fairy for you, Dan. <laughs> Other creatures you control get plus one, plus oh for each aura and equipment attached to Kellen. Adventure, one and a white, birthright, boon, sorcery, adventure. Search your library for an aura or equipment card, reveal it, put it in your hand, then shuffle. So that adventure is just like better than open the armory or it's the exact same card, but it's attached to a double striking three drop. Yeah. So it's exactly open the armory. So it's an open the armory that draws a two, two double strike creature. <laughs> I'm not like super interested in the double strike creature, but if I was going to play open the armory, if I was playing Colossus hammer or whatever, sure. I, I don't think I'm going to play this personally, but yeah, it's a lot on one card. Yeah. Again, it's, it's one of those where it's like, I don't think this gets there even with all this extra text, which shows you how bad a three mana two two double strike is in the format. They just staple another card onto it for free. But yeah, I don't think open the armory is there, and I don't think in general this like type of card or deck really has enough support in Pioneer. So there's an interesting interaction that someone was asking about in our Discord today. And the question is, what happens if you cast an adventure from the graveyard? Do you get the full adventure? And the answer is yes. So why would that matter? Well, that, that sword from one of the recent sets, the blue-black sword, whenever it connects, you get to cast an instance or sorcery mana value two or less from the graveyard. Do you know the sword I'm talking about, David? Sword of blue yeah. and black? Okay, so... I don't, I don't know. I mean, of course I don't know the name. <laughs> let's say that we're in this red-white deck. Uh, we're playing Fervent Champion, and we want to have like a one-of of that sword to tutor up. We birthright boon, get that sword, play it, equip for free to the Fervent Champion attack it connects now from the graveyard we can cast another kellen adventure i don't really know if that's going anywhere yet but it's kind of interesting now that we have more ways to satisfy that weird trigger off that sword for profit yeah i, I certainly had not considered that there's a lot of moving parts in this uh, <laughs> outline line but <laughs> i'm not sure i'm a believer <laughs> fair enough fair enough We'll let the people decide. We'll just present the ideas. You draw your own conclusions. Sure. Uh, That also applies to this next card, which is utterly terrible, but it does technically combo in modern. So experimental confectioner. Two and a black human peasant. Two, three creature. When an ETBs create a food, the relevant part, whenever you sacrifice a food, create a one, one black rat creature token with this creature can't block. So you, you sack a food, you get a, a rat. So we see we're at the beginnings of some kind of engine, and I was told via Twitter, or X, whatever it's called, that this combos with Pippin, and I was like, okay, I gotta find Pippin, what the heck does Pippin do? 
After hours of searching, it turns out that it combos with Peregrine Took, which is a Pippin that is not a Pippin. Peregrine Took says, to an agreeing halfling citizen, if one or more tokens would be created under your control, those tokens plus an additional food token are created instead. So the reason this works is you got to have three foods. You crack them all, right? To Peregrine Took's ability to draw a card. That creates okay. three separate instances of the experimental confectioner's ability. So three times the ability sack of food, get a rat goes on the stack. And then every time that resolves, Peregrine Took says you get the rat plus a food. So now you've just, you've gone infinite there. You've drawn your deck. That being said, you're playing two different three mana two threes, neither of which is playable. I think. Well, I think there was like a one of Peregrine Tuck in a few decks at the Pro Tour. So it's like mm. not beyond the realm of possibility, but it's like if it's the worst card in a 60 and then you have to play multiple human peasants. <laughs> <laughs> they are both hittable by Coco. Would you rather be a human peasant or a halfling citizen? Oh, I'd rather be a citizen. Citizen, man. Yeah. <laughs> citizen means you can vote. Peasants. You know, you're making babies in the dirt. I don't know what, what's going on there. <laughs> you can vote for the next Shire Sheriff or whenever Lotho is up for re-election. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, law and order candidate, man. Get these <laughs> goddamn Saruman's out of here. <laughs> All right, what do you make of this next one here? Godric Cloaked Reveler. One of my favorite cards of the set. I'd say this is in my top three. Mm, nice. Very excited to play with this card. Godric Cloaked Reveler, one red red. Haste. Celebration. As long as two or more non-land permanents enter the battlefield under your control this turn, Godric Cloaked Reveler is a dragon with base power and toughness 4-4, four, four, flying, and red colon dragons you control get plus one plus oh until end of turn. Simple. Base 3-3 three, three, turns into a 4-4. Four, four. It, of course, the turn it comes into play is a permanent. You just need one more. I think a lot of people, uh, myself, yourself, I, I, most of the internet, found the Kumano faces uh, Kazaka online. Mm -hmm. That flips very comfortably. So that's attacking for six, four of it in the air on turn three. Mm -hmm. You can play Skrelv's Hive on turn two, if you like. Uh, you can play Kari Zev, Ship's Raider. Mm. You can play Mox Amber, which this is a legend. Also... It has like super fire breathing, so maybe you want to play the dragon that makes a treasure when it attacks. That just naturally turns this into a dragon, and then that treasure taps for two red, and it pumps both of them, plus two, plus oh. So that attacks for just 12, just those two cards. What, Goldspan Dragon? Yeah, Goldspan Dragon. Maybe you want to play Fable the Mirror Breaker. That's two cards. Every time the goblin attacks, it makes a treasure, so as long as you had one permanent enter. Squee. Attacks and makes a 1-1. One, one. Blood Tithe Harvester is two permanents. Adeline, when it comes into play, is a permanent. And when you attack, makes a 1-1. One, one. Um, the 3-2 guy that puts a curse on himself, that makes two permanents in your Blood Tithe Harvester uh, deck. Galazeth, if we're playing our Dragon deck, makes two permanents. Uh, this card is just sick, and I think people are underestimating. Like It's not just a 4-4 flying, which is awesome. It's a 4-4 flying that basically just gets to cast as many shocks as you have extra red mana lying around but they can only target your opponent. Like all the times you get to attack and just do like a couple extra damage is going to matter a lot. And even if you don't have another dragon, I think that's almost like flavor text, but it's not a four, four flying. It's like a five, four flying or a six, four flying or 
etc etc right right because if you're just seeing 4-4 and you're like it's already a 3-3 what's what's the big deal but okay it's already a 3-3 haste for three so that's already pretty fine by itself yeah like 3-3 haste is not a card we play right we we if we if i just said they they printed a two and a red 3-3 haste we would not play that card we might I mean, but we wouldn't be embarrassed yeah, like that's yeah. the, that's the, that's the thing exactly like we we're talking before they aren't punishing you if you don't do the thing if you do the thing you got a three, three, three mana, four, four haste with a relevant ability. <laughs> but if you don't do the thing, you still get to like attack, you know, <laughs> trade with a blood tithe harvester or something. My first thought is, we'll just put this in as a curve topper and let it do its thing, right? I, I wasn't super interested in going higher up the curve, but some of these interactions you're pointing out are kind of attractive. Those decks... Like if you're playing Gals, if you're playing Goldsban, I don't think you're going to be as happy with the three-three for three haste. Um, yes, that's correct. I agree. What about this for a line, Dan? You have the uh, red-green um, hyena or whatever. You play this. You, you play. It's the red-green legendary hyena that's in a lot of the uh, bar class decks. Hyena. Do I know this card? Maybe it's not a hyena. I don't know. It's like if you attack with six power or more, it gives all creatures plus one plus oh. And then its ability is like two a red and a green colon double its power. It's from the D&D set. Pack leader? Werewolf pack leader? No, but it's the it's the legendary one. The red green one. Oh, yeah. You've played it in bar class. Targnar. That's a Targnar. Yeah. That guess Targnar. Demon oh, fang. Oh, it's a hobgoblin. Or, yeah, it's a, it's it's a, a null, not a yeah. Okay. So you play that, you play this guy, plus whatever, Mox Amber, that's already in your bar class deck. Sure. When you go to attack, you have six power, so all your creatures get plus one, plus oh. Okay. So that's a uh, nine power attack on turn three. I mean, it's just crazy, some of these lines. Yeah, I mean, just fire breathing is actually very good. <laughs> Asika's Chariot, maybe like Asika's Chariot. Triggers that the turn comes into play. It makes a free 2-2 every time it attacks. Like, this card works with every color pairing except for blue, really. There are no playable cards with Fire Breathing, but that obscures the fact that it's actually quite a good ability um, as a menacing. Yes, they normally put Fire Breathing on a creature that's already really big, like Shiv and Dragon or yeah. something. But this is a card that comes down early, to Dan's point, and... Late has this like manasic ability, whereas once you get it in the air, it just does a lot of crazy shit. And like I said, if you want to play in a dragon's deck, maybe like a blue red dragony deck, you know, you play this into Galzeth, attack for four, and then play the um, the dragon that makes a treasure. And if they didn't kill any of your dragons, you do like twenty damage because you get another treasure. You sack both of them for four red mana, and it gives all your dragons plus four plus L. Yeah, that would be insane. All right, so high marks for Godric Cloak to Reveler then. Yeah, this seems like it could be an impactful card off the bat that also has sweet brewing potential. Yeah, I think Red Black Sacrifice also should think about this. As you go through your loops, you're always turning it on with your uh, Cat Oven combo. Oh, shit. Uh, and it just helps close the game. Now, they're moving way more mid-range. I don't think you want this in a deck that's playing the Four Thoughtseize for push package which is what red black sack has been doing but if you want to make a more aggro version of it huh. this is a this is a way to really speed up your clock okay next up a card that probably won't make it but it's so gosh darn cute it's the gumdrop poisoner it's two in a black human warlock three two lifelink 
When Gumdrop Poisoner enters the battlefield, up to one target creature gets minus X minus X until end of turn, where X is the amount of life you gained this turn. Also comes with an adventure. Tempt with treats, instant. For a single black, create a food. So that's very, very cheap food. That's one of the cheapest possible foods you can get. What do you do with the food? Well, if you're just doing what the card says, you're cracking it on turn five to gain three life and then play your gumdrop poisoner as like a really expensive, crappy shriek maw. But, I mean, maybe you got something else. Maybe you got other plans. Maybe you're gaining the life in some other way that's more mana efficient. Maybe you've got a shield rid in play and you're just, you know, making a gumdrop poisoner and killing something. I don't know if this is... Like, it's asking an interesting question. I think that 3-2 is just the wrong stats, unfortunately. It just gets gobbled up by stuff. And that's probably going to hold it back, you know. But we play plenty of Wasteland Stranglers in our day. And this is in the same ballpark of, you know, brewing around it. Yeah, I just played a league with Wasteland Strangler and it was terrible. So <laughs> this has to be way better than Wasteland Strangler to be good. Um, yeah, if you can find cheap ways on curve to give you life, so this is a three mana two for one. That is interesting to me. Once you start to have to spend more mana on it, then I'm not as interested. It is somewhat interesting. They trigger each other, but not really. Like it's almost more of a cyborg card. Like you'd have to attack with your lifelink, have it connect, and then have them still have a target after a combat. So Yeah, exactly. So like I could imagine maybe like a mono black deck that plays the two three death touch lifelink. And maybe like some number of shield rids and you could set it up so this is often like a three mana minus four minus four on turn four or five. There are also now a bunch of cards that are just like adventure, make a food for one. This is one of the better ones. Like it's instant speed, it's in black. So I don't know if that's useful yet. Maybe it's for bargain or something else, but just keep this one in mind. Yeah, I think you need to be getting something out of that food for this card to be playable. I don't think the the right side is enough on its own. Next up. Quick study. Quick study. Two in a blue instant, draw two cards. That's all. Yeah, instant speed divination. Divination was standard playable like nine years ago. They printed a lot of like cool variants in modern that are like three mana draw two cards and then they do a bunch of other stuff and they're barely playable. Um, I think this is like a playable card in control. I, I think that oh. they need to actually be lowering their curve a little bit in Pioneer. Okay. Um, so like as a one or two of, I think this is like very reasonable. I'm surprised. So, so this is just like the best option. If you just want to get a little bit ahead on turn three, instant speed. Yeah. Cause a lot of times what happens is if you don't want at three mana, they have counter their, their hard counters are up mm -hmm. and you know, the blue, white and blue blacklist are playing anywhere between like two to six cards. So you have to decide if you're going to play another hard counter or not. They just eat that mana. They have nothing to do on three other than just cycle Shark Typhoon. And I think this is just better than that early in the game. Like, this is going to make sure you hit land drops in a way that the cycle of the Shark Typhoon doesn't. And the one one on the Shark Typhoon does not matter. Like, that body never ends up mattering. They never actually, like, beat you down with it. Any interest in Sentinel of Lost Lore? All right, there's a lot of text here. One green green elf knight, three four. So elf is a relevant type, at least. When it enters the battlefield, choose one or more. So you can get all three of these if you need to. <laughs> Return target card you own in exile that has an adventure to your hand. So if you've already stomped something, this puts it back in your hand to stomp again. <laughs> Put target creature you don't own in exile that has an adventure on the bottom of its owner's library. So if you have been stomped, you could in theory get rid of the 4-3. And then it may exile target player's graveyard. 
in theory, your opponents. So the only thing that really is powerful there is that third line of text. So this is a very good graveyard hate piece that's on a pretty reasonable body. Three mana, three or three, four doesn't like, you know, blow your mind, but it's it's going to block. It's it, it survives the commonly played removal. I think you have to be getting advantage out of the adventure, and I don't know how good that's going to be. It's like a TV ad, like, have you or anyone you know stomped or been stomped in this game? Yes, exactly. <laughs> if so, please call the Sentinel of Lost Lore. Because again, sort of like the Mosswort Knight, like this just imagines these slow games where like incrementally gaining all this advantage. Like, I'll put your Mosswort Knight back in your hand so you can cast one in a black, draw a card, and lose life. Like, that's just not how modern games are played. It's it's very mana efficient, and modern is even more so. I mean, you're not paying mana at all for anything. Um, so I think this is going to be actually a pretty good card in standard, and I don't think this is going to see play in Pioneer. And graveyards just aren't that important anymore. Phoenix is not mm. that common. The uh, like Delve decks aren't uh, everywhere, um, like the, the Neoform versions. And um, Grease Fang is, does not get beaten by cards like this. You know, three mana sorcery speed, graveyard removal is not, is not a good way to fight Grease Fang, so... I'm so used to cards like this having a hidden reach that I'm actually surprised this one does not have reach. I, I kind of agree. I was like, I was looking for it to like have trample or like it always, a green card like this normally has like one random ability. Yeah. So it's not an endurance. Sick. It's just a three, four. All right. Next up, ice out one blue, blue instant counter target spell, but it has bargain. If you bargain it, that means if you sacrifice an artifact and sham it or token as you cast it, it costs one less. So there it's just a counter spell. Obviously, um, not a card that you would even consider, except if you're trying to do the bargain thing, in which case you need some bargain enablers, and this is a decent one. So yeah, I just mentioned it for that reason. There's one other card that, similarly, it's a four drop that like bounces something and draws a card that you probably would not consider, but if you need an enabler or a payoff, I guess, I guess it's both enabler and payoff for sacrificing something, like a hatching plans, so here's a thing you can do that's a plausible card. Yeah, and I think you just have to be really careful. Like, Dan and I love doing things like this where we're, like, playing a card and, like, if it all lines up, it's, like, fractionally better than just playing the good cards. Um, like, we keep mentioning Hatching Plans, uh, which is a card that we both love. Uh, so I do think that Bargain is a powerful ability, but it's a little bit of a trap where you, like, have to play the card to turn the Bargain on and the card that has the Bargain. And if both of those aren't, are a little below the power level. You're doing a lot of work to like get them both to like up to the power level where you need to be at. Yeah, I mean, bargain is so interesting because if the point of it is to get a cost reduction on ice out, then I'm not interested. That's not worth it. But if the point of it is to get rid of my cursed roll on my three two for one, then yeah, it's actually kind of nice. It all kind of works out. <laughs> like that'd be pretty sweet, right? One drop that three two, and then turn two, you ice out, and now you have a three two. Yeah, but again, like we're <laughs> the, the best scenarios. It, it looks very, very good. I totally agree. <laughs> All right. But the times you play a one mana one one and then a three mana cancel, and you're just like, wow, <laughs> these cards do not like line up well against what my opponents used to be doing. Fair enough. What's next? Another one of my favorite cards in the set: Where Fox Bodyguard. Where Fox? There Fox, baby. One white, white, flash, two, two. When it enters the battlefield, exile up to one other target non-fox creature. Until it leaves the battlefield, one in a white, sacrifice where fox bodyguard, you gain two life. What a sweet card. 
sweet, like powerful, but is, is there a combo here that I'm missing? Well, there's not a combo per se. I just love it in these sort of like value cocoa shells. So like you go to attack sometimes and your opponent just has your whatever your mm. band cocoa opponent just has all this mana up. So do you like cast your spell first? They might have spell queller. Do you just attack and you know, if you have a sorcery speed spell, they can cast cocoa to the hit removal. But now you like add a whole nother card in the equation, which is this Werefox bodyguard, which is like an instant speed way to like blow out certain attacks. It also acts as like a de facto indestructible, like I don't know. I I block you're 2-2 two, two with my Shieldred. Mm. You fatal, and Shieldred's very good against your deck, whatever you're playing red-blue. I wear Fox Bodyguard my own Shieldred, exiling it from the game. And then I sack my wear Fox Bodyguard on my end step so that Shieldred gains me two life and is back in play, like pressuring your draw cards or whatever. So it's like a faux blink. It can protect your own cards from sweepers, right? It's like a functional three mana. Your creature gains indestructible. Even protects it from exile effects, right? Interesting. It gives you life if you want. I mean, it doesn't have to exile anything, I guess. Okay, so the fact that this can target your own creatures is, is actually like a meaningful upgrade over like a Banisher Priest. Um, and on top of that is Flesh. I, I think so. Right. And you set, you can sacrifice it. So you have a lot of control. Like in your mid-range matchup, your opponents cast Anger and you have Blood Tithe Harvester underneath here. Like you sacrifice this, Blood Tithe Harvester gets exiled. Like you get to, you have a little bit of control over like what's left to see the sweeper. You can play sweepers in your own white deck. You don't have to worry about like, oh, if I sweep my, you know, my white exile effect, they get something back. It's like, no, no, I just sack this for the two life. Turns on fatal push if you like, uh, if that comes up. I mean. So it has this non-fox clause and that's presumably to prevent you from looping to where fox bodyguards for infinite blinks. Is there any way around that? Is there any way to make this go infinite with itself? Like a clone or something? Um, not to my knowledge. Hmm. It, it, there's no, they don't print cards anymore. They just like take away creature types, right? We, don't, we can't make this a non-fox. Because it doesn't say its own name. It just says the, the creature type. I see. Interesting. Okay, so is this actually good or is it just fun? I think it's going to be good. I, I think the like mid-range cocoa list is just like white green cocoa is pretty good. And I think this is a really good card in that shell. Okay. All right. We're getting to David's favorites at the almost two hour mark or four hour mark of the set review. We're finally onto the four drops. And I think we have your favorite card of the set here, David. This is my favorite card of the set. Blossoming Tortoise. <laughs> Shout out to Charles Darwin, man. <laughs> Two green green for a creature turtle. Whenever it enters the battlefield or attacks, mill three cards, then return a land card from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. Activated abilities of lands you control cost one less to activate. No condition about not reducing them to zero. Very important. And land creatures you control get plus one plus one. What, is, what a sweet card. What an incredible card. Without being like broken or overpowered or like punishing, it just it does so much. Okay, so it's got that Titan clause, ETB or attack, you get the trigger, and the trigger is yes. pretty good. Mill three, return a land. That's that's a straight ramp, right? It's card advantage and ramp. That's super powerful. Yes, and then it reduces cost of land. So in modern, if you're playing Urza Saga, it gets it back. Urza Saga puts itself in the graveyard naturally. 
It makes a saga cost less to activate if you want to do that stuff. Um, it makes like demolition field cheaper to use. Oh boy! It makes Nykthos cheaper to use. Oh boy! It's incredible with all the D and D lands, um, especially Layer of the Hydra. It gives it a functional plus one plus one because it costs one less to activate, and it gives it a plus one plus one. Mutavault is a free three three to activate. Uh, I have a note here that Ashaya of the Wilds makes all your creatures lands. So if you have something like Misery Shadow, that's an infinite, infinite creature now. Um, because you can activate Mutavault over and over again, you can make an infinite, infinite uh, crackdown construct. Uh, in casual, you can play Lava Claw Reaches. It makes that infinite, infinite <laughs> power. Like that, That's actually good, I think. Because like, that is a card that you can hide pretty well. Like, I, I don't think you can hide a Crackdown Construct. <laughs> you would be keenly aware of taking time to play that, but Lava Claw Reaches is just a land, and it goes infinite. Yeah, and it can't be stopped by removal. I, I guess you can specifically remove the Lava Claw Reaches, but the killing the turtle doesn't do anything. You just do everything in response. There's a uh, enchantment. It's like one red red. It's like basically makes a creature into a dragon, gives it the ability to one mana, gives it plus one, plus oh, and flying. And so if you wanted to, like, you don't want to play Crackdown Construct for exactly the reason Dan says. You just enchant your uh, Mutavault with that, with the turtle in play. Fly over and do infinite damage. Untap, Deserted Temple can untap itself infinite amount of times. <laughs> you just want to, like, time out? I don't know. <laughs> in casual, again, like, Deserted Temple is, like, a, I think, be older than modern allows. But this card just does a lot. But none of it's like super overpowered. Like its base rate kind of reminds me of what was the um there's a Jund 5-4 four mana card that could put a land from your graveyard into play. Soul of Wind Grace. Yeah. And the problem was it's it's really hard to put a land in play into your graveyard, like on curve, so where you're casting that on turn four or three and like getting to ramp. But this turtle is do like you just grow spiral into it, and if you, I mean, you're just probably going to hit a land at some point, and that's this will this will just ramp you. The turn it comes into play, so it's like a solemn simulacrum, and then it just does a bunch of other stuff. Thank you for bringing up that comparison because we did a whole week on Soul of Wind Grace, and I think we were correct that it's actually not bad. Like if you're looking for a card, you can just put in modern, and it performs fine. And Soul of Wind Grace did that for a while. You know, Aspiring Spike got a bunch of five O's with it too. Like people were just like, oh yeah, it's a fine card. That has the same trigger, it just doesn't mill three. Right. ETB or attack, you just get a land back. And in modern with fetch lands, you can make that happen. You can make that happen with Urza Saga. Master Ugwe here just like does it, right? He does all of it. He he brings yeah. a land back and he mills three, which finds lands, but it also does other stuff for you too, right? Milling three is just a good effect. That's a lot of resources, a lot of resources. And we never use the other effects on Soul of Wind Grace, like... No, you never had time to do it. I mean, yeah. Yeah, but like Uguay's abilities are super legit. Like, uh, what was that? Um, Demolition Field, that's one you mentioned, right? Field of Ruin. Yeah. Uh, people don't play really basics in Pioneer, so. No, I, I, I want to build a green-white value town. I was even asking you about the the player who invented it. I, can't, I don't, don't even remember his name, but whatever. He's a disgraced uh, individual. Yes. But we, we both had a fondness for green-white value town when it was a thing you could do in modern a long time ago. And I think this gives you like a chance to do that. It you can still play all your cocoa hits if you want. Um, you can play the two three lets you play lands of your graveyard, but this also kind of does it. It just like finds another demolition field, sack a demolition field for one. You know, power up your mutable, power up your your creature lands. 
Right, it functionally adds two to your layer of the Hydra because it reduces the activation cost and it gives it a plus one, plus one. Yep. Fascinating card. Super fun. I'm, I'm in for Blossoming Tortoise. This is awesome. <laughs> All right, now we're getting to the good stuff, the fours and up. Um, before we get to the fun stuff, we have to get a boring one out of the way. It's Decadent Dragon. <laughs> Decadent Dragon, two red, red. Creature Dragon, 4-4 four, four, Flying Trample, whenever it attacks, create a treasure. So that's, that's like pretty solid. But it comes with an adventure, expensive taste, two in a black instant, on curve adventure, exile the top two cards of target opponent's library face down. You may look at and play those cards for as long as they remain exiled. So the important thing to know here is those cards are just always going to be there. Whether or not you cast the Decadent Dragon, it's almost like you drew two cards. Except that there's no mana fixing included here. So if you're not playing the same colors as your opponent, like maybe you just can't use those cards. Which, I mean, whatever, that's fine. I'm not super worried about that. Well, the dragon makes the treasure. So that's, that's I love the design of this card, actually. Like, it tells mm -hmm. you the whole story. The dragon, like, loots their uh, village or whatever. And then <laughs> uh, over the course of, uh, you know, his experience, uh, acquires the uh, treasure needed to, like, exploit their arts and... <laughs> <laughs> that's true that is a nice story you know i was just thinking like that that template he reminded me of like a uh, gaunty lord of luxury or something where they often have this clause that you don't have to care about the colors yeah. this does not have that yeah and i think they consciously did that so that it wasn't just a straight up three mana divination instant speed into a four four you like it's very possible that you won't be able to cast the spells i mean this card gives you a straight up three for one mm -hmm. if you have the time to do it right like right now the current red black deck does not take off turn three to just draw two um and so i think this actually competes with a lot of the things that the red black deck is doing it doesn't want to play any more four drops that's why it only plays three shielders it does not play any other four drops anymore this is a four drop and the other it's adventure half does not affect the board and is a three drop so i think this is maybe like their new sideboard card in these mid-range matchups instead of Bringing in a bunch of like bank busters, this might be better, uh, especially in the red black mirror. I think this card's like very, t very difficult for another red black deck to beat. Yeah, you have a note here comparing it to Fable of the Mirror Breaker, which it's probably not as good, but I mean, if it's in the conversation, that's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, you just have to decide like, do I have the time, right, to play this on three and then play a four, four dragon on four and then eventually like acquire all these value? I mean, it does help you find lands. I mean, just a uh, colorless land is probably going to help you cast, you know, the the creature half on four. So yeah, it might be good. It just it just seems a little too clunky to me, and it just seems a little bit worse than the current options that like red black has. Because you think like, oh, red black has this mid range list. This is a powerful mid range card. Why doesn't it just play it? But it's all about opportunity cost. How many expensive cards is red black going to play? Is it better than Kroxa as a grindy card? Maybe it just replaces Kroxa straight up. Like, Kroxa is the worst card in the list by a long, long shot. Interesting. Yeah, I could see that. All right, next up, a quick shout-out to the Tempest Heart. The Tempest Heart is a 4-drop that's a 5-4 trample, whatever. That's not the important part. Um, sorry, a 3-4 trample for 4. But it's a 3-4. You keep sneaking, like, extra power on all these creatures. <laughs> yeah, the power creep is happening in real time, David. <laughs> As yes. I read the card, it's getting more Did powerful. Did I say 5? I meant uh, 6. 6 power. Yeah, that's the ticket. <laughs> but uh, the interesting part is that the adventure built into Tempest Heart is actually a unique effect. It's scan the clouds, one in a blue, instant adventure, draw 2, discard 2. 
That's actually a fairly rare effect on a two mana instant. The only two cards that do that are Is It Charm and Faithful Mending, both of which have seen play at different situations. Now, they, they both do more, but they're awkward colors. And they've seen play in multiple formats. So now if you just want this effect for one and a blue, you have it. And you also get an elk leader if you want that, which you probably don't. But if you're a deck that was like kind of interested in this instant speed draw to discard uh, and just like are a different color combo, like mono blue or blue black or something, like you have that now. That is all. No more comments on Tinder. No, yeah, exactly. <laughs> come, come back when they print it at 6-4 and we'll maybe talk. Yeah, about exactly. It. Exactly. Check back next week. <laughs> yep. Okay, I mentioned Ice Out as a bargain payoff slash enabler. The other card I was talking about was called Johan's Stopgap. That's three in a blue sorcery bargain. Costs two less if you bargain it, so that means it's only two mana, and it bounces any non-land permanent and you draw a card. So obviously you're never going to cast this for four, but if you if you want to bargain, this is like, okay, this is fine. I wish it were instant, but it's not. But it's not totally unplayable. I agree, I agree with that, yeah. All right, and from there we go to one that's got a lot of chatter, a lot of chatter about this card. Um, potentially modern playable. Uh, maybe potentially legacy playable. I've seen some people positing. Interesting. All right. T- tell me about Beseech the Mirror. Beseech the Mirror 1, black, 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 sorcery, bargain. So again, you may sacrifice an artifact, enchantment, or token as you cast a spell. So you search your library for a card, exile it face down, then shuffle. If this spell was bargained, you may cast the exiled card without paying its mana cost if that spell's value is 4 or less. Put the exiled card in your hand if it wasn't cast this way. So... If you're not bargaining, this card is terrible. We don't pay, play four mana demonic tutors, but we do play four mana demonic tutors if they are functionally free. This can get the four mana you put into it back immediately. It just asks for you to make a bargain, uh, the devil's bargain, right? You have to sacrifice something. So again, I'm not a modern player, but I think that decks with the one ring and bowmasters uh, should at least consider this. It just seems reasonable to me. Bowmasters makes tokens. The mm-hmm. one ring is an artifact, and eventually you want to get rid of it somehow, and you can find a new ring <laughs> that is uh, free of counters. I also think, uh, like, um, Reed Duke's list that Channel Fireball played, played Bowmaster and one ring, mm-hmm. and they had a Yawgmoth that tutor up, so, like, as a extra Yawgmoth. I don't know how many other tokens they have. I, I don't know if they played the, um, the three-mana... Golgari Planeswalker, that's like a creature everywhere else except for in play. Yeah, Gris. Uh, but that 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 makes tokens. Um, sometimes they play that like two two do that like if a minus one minus one counter goes on something it makes a one one uh, snake token. So there's there's a few extra tokens lying around. So yeah, and then in in um, Legacy, I've heard people talking about playing it with Gaia's Will, where you like ritual into it, sacrifice one of the many free artifacts. Oh god! And then from your graveyard, you get to cast all the rituals again, and you get to cast the um, guy's will again, and you can cast the beseech the mirror again, sacrificing the artifact that you replayed to find your tendrils. There's, there's like turn one and turn two wins, very very available. Wow! So guy guy's will is modern legal, but we don't have the rituals. We don't have the mana engine for that in modern. Right. So it's interesting. So you're outlining one line in which it's getting super powerful four drops and the other line in which it's actually casting null mana cost spells. Well, first it's casting Gaia's Will because that costs zero. 
and then yeah. it's casting the the finisher. So it's both like it turns itself on because then you get to cast it from the graveyard again. Whatever artifact you sacrifice, lion's eye diamond, you don't sacrifice it for mana. You just cast double ritual. Then you cast the rituals from your graveyard. Then you cast the lion's eye diamond again. Then you sack the diamond to the beseech the mirror again. And um, you, you know, between, so you've cast two rituals twice, beseech the mirror twice, beseech the mirror, cast the, the will. It actually ends up to be 20 damage. That's nuts. Someone was saying that you could try this in modern if you had like uh, something that created tokens whenever you cast a spell. So that could be a young pyromancer. It could be a chrome host seed shark or whatever. You could use Beseech the Mirror to find more copies of Beseech the Mirror. Obviously, there's only four in the deck, unless you have Wheel of Sun and Moon in play, in which case you can go infinite <laughs> and then, you know, finish them off with, I don't know, Empty the Warrens or something. It doesn't quite work, but it's kind of a funny idea. Yeah, that's interesting. So, yeah, do you think there's like a one or two of in like a Shieldred one ring Bowmasters list? Or do you think people will just like build around this as like? I think people will build around it because of the bargain like i understand that some decks may be able to supply the bargain but i, I think you really need it to you need it to be bargained you cannot play this if it's just diabolic intent or whatever no. diabolic tutor that's awful <laughs> okay so people are going to build around it they're going to play a lot of bargain fodder and they're going to find that paying four for stuff is just not very good in modern so <laughs> i don't think it's as good as people are thinking it is but i'm intrigued like it's it's intriguing to have this tutor piece that yeah it seems doable to set up you know, if you've ever wanted to do like a wheel of fate combo, you, you can do that now more reliably. I don't know. But that's, that's modern. What do you think about pioneer? So yeah, people compare to bring to light, but this is not a strictly better bring to light because you can't do the Valky thing. It, they're very specific about the mana value. Mm. Um, oh, I see. And so the deck that has tokens lying around is red, black sacrifice. They've got all kinds of tokens but do you want to actually pay extra? They don't play shielded main deck. And is it like four mana plus sack a permanent to get the devil? Maybe as a one of that's, I mean, I'm not a red black sacrifice player. That, that actually doesn't seem very good to me. Um, I feel like there's gotta be some like combo thing that you could do. I just don't know what it is, but I know that I will be playing with demonic pact. (laughs) 100% of the time. And not only does it sack the demonic pact if you need it to, if you just play a bunch of other enchantments, it just finds your your donate effect. You can play like two of them maybe. You just have this like cheap way to always make sure you can sack your thing. You can always tutor for it with the two mana mana rock. We can actually just play four beseech the mirror, four demonic pact, and just turn three demonic pacts almost every game. Because uh, you can sack oh, the artifact to beseech sh- the mirror. Okay, that's cool. So I, I've I already got that deck built. I'm I'm really excited to try it out. And yeah, you just you have all these extra tutors built in. I don't know. It's we're gonna have to try it. It might be terrible. Turn two, the Iron Crag. Turn three, tap for mana, bargain it away, beseech yeah. the mirror, get your demonic pact. Yeah, or if you draw the demonic pact, just play it. If you yeah, yeah. And then you know you go up six cards or whatever, and then if you find another beseech the mirror, you can turn your Iron Crag into the donate effect because it that what it tutors for it. There's no type control. Okay, so that that's pretty sweet. So you're actually like going to synergize with the bargain, not not just supply cards, but you're going to like actually go nuts with the bargain. Oh yeah. Okay. I see you have a note here about Ugin's Nexus, similar similar concept. Yeah, yeah. Again, like again, I'm I'm one of the only people like trying to play with Ugin's Nexus. But if you have an Ugin's <laughs> Nexus in play, it's really cool. You bargain away the Nexus, you get the turn, 
you get the Karn, and then Karn minus twos and puts the Nexus from Exile, you just Exile it back into your hand. Um, Interesting. The other thing that's cool is you think like, okay, I don't maybe want this card in my um, Fires deck because this is cast yeah. and then it finds the other spell. That's all the spells. Well, I think it's cool on turns where you like cast a spell and then bargain away the fires and leave five mana up. And then you get another four drop and then you have another five mana. So it sets up these turns where you end up getting to cast like 10 mana worth of spells. Oh, interesting. So, so, so fires ends up being in sort of like in the enigmatic incarnation deck fires ends up being, the enabler for the first half of the turn, and then it turns into fodder to make the rest of your turn awesome. Now, I don't know what you're doing at the end of all that, but like getting 20 or whatever, 17 mana worth of spells or something on turn five is, is very interesting to me. So fires in play, first spell yeah. free, second spell beseech the mirror for free, sack the fires, get something else. Yes, right. You cast a third spell now, and then you still have all your mana open. Yes. That's awesome. Yeah. So th those are like just things to do. I don't know if those are good enough. Like I think the enigmatic shell is really good. It's been tuned by a lot of really good players and stuff. And so they're already kind of doing similar things to that. Is Beseech the Mirror going to be better? But tutors like this are just really powerful. So it's, it's worth exploring, I think. Exactly. All right. Quickly, grabby giant. Three and a red for a creature, whatever. But the adventure half is good. Adventure half... Two, one in a red instant, create a treasure. And that effect does not exist. So if you ever wanted a treasure at instant speed for two, you have it now. Uh, I don't think we want that, but it's interesting that this is a, a new thing you can just do. I would like to say that I think you do want that. Every time something makes a treasure at instant speed, I have to hear about how great it is. <laughs> exactly. Well, this one ramps into a grabby giant, which is a 4-3 right now, but it could be bigger next week. It could be a 5-3. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what's next, David? Devouring Sugar Maw. Two black black for a menace trample 6-6 six, six creature. At the beginning of your upkeep, you may sacrifice an artifact, enchantment, or token. So functionally a bargain uh, fodder if you don't tap Devouring Sugar Maw. And then half for dinner is its adventure half. One and a white instant. Create a 1-1 one, one white human creature token and a food token. So four mana 6-6 six, six wouldn't be that good, but menace and trample is actually awesome. So this gets around the problem of like Shieldred just chumps it or whatever. This kills Shieldred plus something else or tramples over everything. Hmm. And then the adventure half again being instant is really important because it lets you keep up all your removal if you need to. Uh, and at the end of it, you actually like get a lot, a 1-1 one, one human and a treasure token. Um, and then if you just have random other things in your deck, maybe that you want a uh, devouring sugar maw to sacrifice Again, I'm thinking of Trial of Ambition. Again, I'm thinking of the two and a black enchantment where you draw three and start taking damage uh, every time you cast a spell. It's just like such a nice card to like cast Sugar Maw, Trial of Ambition, them, sack the trial. And like your clock just get, is, is getting like pretty heavy. This is the kind of card, again, because it puts pressure on life total that really makes that one black enchantment that takes a card and does two to them. That two life doesn't normally matter in the your Ryan shells that would normally go on. It matters a lot if you're playing a four mana, six, six uh, trample. Yeah. And it, it's a food, not a treasure just to clarify. Um, oh yeah. I'm sorry. Did I misspeak? Uh, yeah. I've been transposing it. So the food is, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I hear what you're saying. I just, I don't think I want a six, six for four, even with that evasion. I can't think of a deck that actually wants that. What if we cast it on turn three with a legendary artifact that we can sack to it? But then I didn't adventure it. 
you know? True. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting. I mean, it's a lot of objects, that's for sure. I'm having trouble just putting it all together, personally. Like, just compare this to the dragon, right? Like, a four mana, four, four flying that makes a treasure run attacks versus this. This is so much more threatening. The the dragon that is the three mana instant draw two kind of from your opponent. Oh, so you think this is better than the dragon? I do. Interesting. I think this is worth building an entire deck around. Wow. I think the dragon is like not good enough for a red black deck. And you're seeing the payoff is the giant creature or the payoff is the repeatable bargain outlet? Or both? Or both. Yeah, I, I just think like black white midrange, I think it's just an underrated shell. Like huh. I, I've been experimenting a lot with it. Mm-hmm. I don't think red black is the only way to build a midrange uh, deck. Especially because white black has access to exile effects as LA811 points out that that's really important against mono green. Hmm. And this card is just like a hyper value engine all at once that also lets you play some of these like more like value shell types of cards, like a Thraben Inspector type of card or like any of the prototypes if you wanted to like build like almost a scam prototype. Like you have this down, you play the one one that draws a card, the double striking prototype. You, you know, cast the the new undying effect you attack you sacrifice a prototype you get back the the seven five or the three three double strike that draws a card it's funny you mentioned law 11 so they, they have this article out this week on their Substack ranking the top 32 cards from the set what do you think the number one card was um the one black discard card to lose to <laughs> I, don't, I don't know yeah exactly that's it hopeless was it yeah that is hilarious. It's a perfect law 11 card and it works perfectly with um sugar maw because when you sacrifice a hopeless nightmare you get a scry too so it's like you just get a free scry too for sacking this and attacking with your six six plus you made him discard and lose two life and all that like yeah i can see it i just think the six six like the clock matters like the two life does not matter on the discard thing unless you make it matter to them true and this is a card that makes it makes it matter also i think in the mid-range matchups like the thought sees thing ends up you can beat red black because they end up doing a lot of damage to themselves, but you have to be aggressive to get an advantage out of that. Okay, so um, this is better than I thought then. I guess I should actually pay attention to this now. <laughs> the artwork is just so distracting that I'm like, all right, I don't know what's going on here. Next up, the end. Two black black instant. This spell costs two less if your life total is five or less. Little fateful hour callback here. What does it do? It exiles target creature or planeswalker, then you search that controller's graveyard hand and library for a number of cards with the same name exile all those the player shuffles draws a card for each card exiled from hand this way i hate that effect it just takes up so many words and it sounds like it's going to be really impressive but by the time you're done reading it it's like this doesn't matter at all in, in my opinion compare that to something like legion's Le- legion's end which reads clunkily but it has a huge swing on the battlefield because it takes out all copies in play and the end only takes out one thing in play it may take out some stuff from their hand, but it replaces it. So I'm not like, I'm not attracted to that personally, but they love making this effect. Yeah, I think a four mana exile creature or planeswalker, as we know, is not quite good enough. But the fact that it has the like corner case of kind of like defanging certain decks almost, like hmm. like white black, so? or excuse me, like, like white blue, they play the five mana to fairy. And it sucks to like let it resolve and kill it, but sometimes that's what you have to do. 
If you just get rid of all four Teferis, especially in like the Lotus Field build, like they just can't win anymore. Like the game is over. <laughs> okay, I suppose. So you'd be willing to pay four for that. I think you're constructing your blue-black control shell and I'm just adding like two shielders edicts and, you know, like, mm, okay. you know, we're just kind of de always debating on how many we want of each effect. A one of this is very, very reasonable in your removal suite, in your control or like slower mid-range shell, I think. But you're not suggesting trying to get your life total down below five, though. No, no, no. I, I think even when they had it in the original Innistrad or whatever, they didn't even support it well enough. They didn't pay you off. Gotcha. I actually thought that was a it was a really cool idea. They just didn't make the right cards. If you're playing in the bargain shell, this is a as a one up to tutor in cases where it's really good in your Beseech the Mirror, right? You're gonna play like one four mana sweeper, mm -hmm. and you'll maybe play like one of these. Like mm -hmm. that it just isn't an effect to have, right? Like Okay, I can see that. You you hit their Phoenix and kill all their Phoenixes in blue red, just as an example. Like they, they don't have that much damage left in their deck if if you do that. Yeah, okay. All right, all right. I'm coming around. A one-of, sure. Yeah, a one-of, exactly. We're not, we're not playing too many formatted cards that are one-for-ones. <laughs> all right, next up, David, Red Cap Gutter Dweller. Yeah, I really like this guy. Uh, two red-red for a Goblin Warrior Menace. When Red Cap Gutter Dweller enters the battlefield, create two one-one black rat creature tokens with this creature can't block. At the beginning of your upkeep, you may sacrifice another creature. If you do, put a plus one, plus one counter on Red Cap Gutter Dweller and XL the top card of your library. You may play that card this turn. So it's four mana, five power. And it keeps the same amount of power as it turns some of those bodies into additional cards, perhaps. While triggering Fatal Push that turn, if you need it to be triggered. Uh, I think this card is really good. Surprisingly good. Also triggers celebration. <laughs> if, you're, <laughs> if you're playing your three mana guy uh, that I love, like Roderick, like this is actually a better follow up than Children for sure. And I initially thought you could only do it twice, but no, it sacrifices any creature. It doesn't have to sacrifice yeah, rats. Creature. So if you run out of rats, yeah. that's not a problem. And like if you imagine a card that's cool for Fable to copy. Oh. Like you could copy this in your upkeep, like sack the Red Cap Gutter Dweller, the token. Yeah, I I mean, I love me a Cloud Goat Ranger. I don't know if this is quite there, but it's it's not that far off. It's a lot of bodies on four mana. It's card advantage. It's a lot of damage. Um, it's even a sack outlet, which I don't know if we actually want that or not, but it's kind of interesting. Yeah, it's it's important that the sack can only happen like in your upkeep. So like Red Black Sacrifice does not want this effect, right? It can't uh, sacrifice a threatened creature, for instance. Oh, upkeep. Oh, I misread that. I thought it was combat. I guess that's... That's still okay. So the creature has to already be in play. Yeah, I also don't think, uh, it, like, is it a possible, like, one of in the goblins deck? Mm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. They have so many good options for card draw for... Yeah, but. it's true. I mean, spoiled for choice. But yeah, th this card, again, if the deck is built around it... Like, let's say you're playing the, the rat guy that we were kind of dismissive of. That's making a rat a turn. So this is like a lot of food and it's like finding more cards to cast. And I don't know. This this actually seems like better than people are giving it credit for. Yeah, I agree. Next up, Knight of the Sweets Revenge. Three and a green enchantment. And the relevant text is foods you control have tap add a green. 
foods you control have tap, add a green. Now there's two other abilities. One is that you get a bonus food when it comes into play, and two for seven you can sack this and do something. I think that's not useful. But it's like a mana engine for food, and that's kind of interesting. Almost more so in modern, where you have access to underworld cookbooks, so you can just pile up infinite food in modern if you want. And there really isn't a payoff for that yet, but maybe this is that card. Yeah, I actually think the the ability is a little better than you're giving it credit for. It means if you just have a bunch of little like gilded geese lying around, you can just make them like plus seven, plus seven, and get in there. Oh, well, yeah, okay. That's true. I mean, if we're making infinite food, let's <laughs> let's <laughs> kill right, them. I mean, right. what, what are we doing here? <laughs> I like that it makes a food. Um, it does trigger like artifact enchantment matters things. So like you guys talked about the two mana O one. This triggers both halves of it in the same turn, mm. and it gives you mana back. That's kind interesting. of interesting to me. Um, yeah, I mean, it, this reminds me of Galazeth, which is a card like only you and I like in Wall <laughs> Pioneer. Uh, it only makes green. And you need to specifically have food. So it's like only in Food Matters decks, like you say, the the Underworld Cookbook Engine. Maybe specific, you know, Tough Cookie is a card that seems interesting with this. Yeah, I don't think it gets there, but I mean, who knows? Like, maybe there's actually something here. It's very unique. Very unique. Wilderness Reclamation vibes. <laughs> All right, next up is a card that makes me sad because I used to play the card Barter and Blood. Barter and Blood, what a great card, David. <laughs> what a, it, it was a great card. <laughs> two black black sorcery, each player sacrifices two creatures. So now you can, you can do that, and you can get all this other stuff. <laughs> you can cast Wrinkles Prank, same mana cost, and it's choose one or more. And the modes are each player sacrifices two creatures, each player loses four life, each player discards two cards. You can have one of those effects, you can have all the effects. It's up to you. Yeah, so this is like the best. It's like a pox that you don't. You have a ton of flexibility with. I, I think this card is really powerful. I don't know exactly how I'm going to use it yet, but if you imagine a deck that is investing its permanence in enchantments, enchantments that do two damage and make your opponent discard a card, planeswalkers, things that don't affect this, then this might punish only your opponent and not you, right? It kills creatures to protect your planeswalkers. It takes away cards from their hand to affect the permanents you're putting in play and then you can decide if the life loss hurts them or you more this just seems like a really really good like wrath effect in black which you know right now you've got the exile but only odds are evens you've got the destroy uh, creatures three or less i don't know that those cards are better than this card especially if you build your deck the right way but those cards are like defensive tools right do you, do you think that the discard two and lose four life would ever be used by such a deck well, not not in like a mid-range shell where you're playing these other cards to like sort of get back to normal. But I could imagine a deck with the the black enchantment that makes them discard, etc. The losing your last two cards is a lot more important than losing two cards. Mm. Um, I could imagine a, a Grixis shell with like Riel in play where discarding two means I'm drawing two and you're just losing two. And I'll know when the spell resolves if Riel lives, right? So like I get to decide. Or the uh, there's a Esper card that has almost a similar effect. So you want to stash your resources in enchantments and artifacts, and then you treat this like a pox or a death cloud, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Or or planeswalkers is, is also acceptable. That's so interesting. That's a fascinating card. Super interesting. But yeah, like death cloud, pox, like these are uh, small pox. These are cards like Dan and I played with when they were a little more liberal with like land destruction. 
Mm -hmm. Of course, this doesn't kill lands because people are crybabies. <laughs> but it does let you attack certain resources that you can choose not to play. All right, moving on. Witchstalker Frenzy. Three and a red instance. Five damage to target creature. Witchstalker Frenzy costs one less to cast for each creature that attacked this turn. Am I crazy, David? I feel like this is, like, okay. No, I, I think this card's, like, very good. Right, like, this this kills Shale Dread, that's very important. <laughs> kills it for one mana if you're attacking with a lot. But even if you don't have three creatures, it's not that much mana. If you have, I pay two, I pay three for this. Also, like, what happens at the end of games with red decks? They're attacking with the bugbear. Well, bugbear by itself just provides two attackers. So if you have one other creature in play, then this costs one. I mean, I think this is way more efficient than the one red, red sorcery that like does five to any target. And then you get to like maybe like impulse draw. And I love your note here, like damage your own tangle colony. That sounds awesome to me. Right. Like this is kind of like unholy heat in pioneers as close as you can get. And Tangle Colony, I mean, that that's not terrible. Like, Lawson was, I think, higher on it than I was, but, you know, that'll also make a bunch of rats for your next Witchstalker Frenzy. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> the card seems okay. Yeah, I mean, the one thing that sucks is its removal. It does not stop Llanowar Elf, and it's not necessarily good against Mono White. Mm. Uh, if you aren't the beatdown in that particular game, and obviously your roles switch greatly between play and draw. So it's a tough card to like build around if you're not always the one attacking. True. But yeah, maybe it's like the sideboard way to fight um, Shieldred. It might just be better than like Roast in an aggressive hmm. deck, for instance. Yeah, it's interesting. All right, we move on to the fives. We're almost done, David. We're so close. <laughs> we just have like 10 more cards with adventures built in to get through. <laughs> Damn, there's so many cards in this set. And they all have cards hidden inside of them. <laughs> There's a cycle of mythics called the Virtue Cycle. And these are all two mana adventures with overcosted commandery effects that cost five or more. But in order to like make that palatable, they made the adventure sides pretty plausible. Like the adventure sides on these are like pretty close to real cards. And then it's like, if you're willing to wait, you'll eventually get paid off. Which of the cycle do you like, David? Uh, I don't like any of them, and I, I think the problem is specifically that the adventure cards are not actually real cards. None of them is like close to what I would want to do uh, at that mana point. Okay, so you're, you're not moved by one and a white make a 2-2 two -two knight with vigilance. You're just like, no thanks. <laughs> it, no, I, I'm not. I mean, the closest that I'm into is Virtue of Knowledge, because I don't think people realize you can copy the trigger on a fetch land, so you actually get, mm -hmm. it's like sort of like blue ramp on turn three. If you squint very, very closely. Um, but, man, Elish Norn is so good, and Panharmonicon is already one cheaper than Virtue of Knowledge, so I don't, I don't know that you're like getting paid off that much for it. So this is the blue one. Yes. Vantress Visions, one in a blue instant adventure. Copy target activated or triggered ability you control. Copying activated abilities, I don't think we've seen that before. Like, that's new. So copying fetch lands. Not on an instant, but there, there's a couple artifacts that do it. But Yeah, true, true. But yeah, it's like a legit ramp piece in modern. I don't know if I would try that in Pioneer. It, it does work. It works with Fable Passage. It works with those the ones you were playing in your Scapeshift deck. Yeah. But yeah, then the back half is just not that good, right? The five mana. And the other problem is, like, in, in Pioneer, like, 
you're really lo- like you can play a lot of fetchable targets in modern because you're all you're playing all shock lands and a couple basics. Like how many basics do you want to play? Because you got to play like four fetches or more. Then you're copying them. Like I don't want to play more than like three or four basics. So yeah, it's just you're you're building a crazy deck at that point. So. So the red member of the cycle of virtue of courage, its adventure is just stomp, just straight up stomp, two damage to any card, to any target rather. And then if you wait, instead of paying a giant, you can pay five and get this enchantment that says whenever a source you control deals non-combat damage to an opponent, exile cards from their library, you'd maybe play those cards this turn. So you're saying like, no, this is just pie in the sky. You'll never, you'll never want this. Yeah. I think people just imagine like, okay, I do that. And then I cast lightning bolt and then I, you know, find another one and just like, Okay. Or my opponent out. It's like, is that really how it's going to play out? Or are you going to cast a five mana enchantment and die immediately because you're playing this mono red deck and, you know, like two mana, it's a little worse than stomp because it doesn't have the damage reduction thing, but whatever. Oh, true. Stomp. True. Like stomp is just not very good. That's why like bone crusher mm. giant is not that good. <laughs> okay. So this cycle doesn't miss for you then. Yeah. I'm actually surprised by how bad they made it. And I'm, I'm interested to see. If you have a whole cycle like this and it doesn't even see play in standard, and maybe it will, maybe many of these cards are good in standard and I just don't understand standard, which is <laughs> very, very possible. Uh, I, I'm surprised by how weak some of these cards are. I think they're just command, commander effects, basically. Yeah, and, and that, that might be the best way to think about them. Okay, you have a note here about this next card. Expel the interlopers. It's three white, white sorcery. Choose a number between zero and ten. Destroy all creatures with power greater than or equal to the chosen number. Yeah, this so this card is totally unique. We've never had an effect like this before. So if you had a deck that was built around, I don't know, Sylvan Caryatids and Knights of the White Orchids and whatever, some cheap effects, cheap creature, or excuse me, low power creatures, you could functionally play this as a plague wind, right? Like you kill all the mono greens, giant beaters, but you leave whatever cheap creatures you have with all these utility effects in play. But it also like... The fail case, you just set it to zero. It's just a five-mana wrath. It kills everything. Nothing escapes it. So hmm. normally these effects are like kill everything with three or more, but sometimes your opponent's going to have less. This is totally flexible. You can make it whatever you want it to be. Um, I just think it's a really interesting card. And in various standards past, they had these sort of like mid-range wraths where I forget the effect and you'll have to remind me it's sort of like a cataclysm, but you like get to pick one of each type creature artifact, whatever. And, you know, you'd give your opponent their weakest version. You leave it yourself. This has that kind of effect to me where in mid range battles, you just, whatever, you got a bunch of tutus because you're playing like fable of the mirror breakers. You just kill everything else and leave all your two power and less creatures with all these abilities. And it's, it's, it's just like re normalize it, but it's like borderline, like plague wind, or you can construct a deck where it ends up functioning like that. It reminded me of the card by invitation only, which I think was from Crimson Vow. That one, you chose a number between zero and 13, but then you, each player sacrifices that many creatures so that you could always wrath the board if you wanted to, but the way to exploit it was to just have more creatures than your opponent. This one is checking something slightly different, right? You need to have smaller creatures than your opponent, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, like if you're in a tokens deck or something. Yeah. Or a bunch of Llanowar elves. Like you can play Wrath in your in your deck with all these mana creatures now. Alright, what's next? Lich Knight's Conquest. Four and a black sorcery. Sacrifice any number of artifacts, enchantments, and or tokens, so the fodder for bargain. 
return that many creature cards from your graveyard to the battlefield. So right now, most reanimator effects in Pioneer are 5 mana, period. <laughs> so this is 5 mana, like as much shit as you have in play, you can turn that into creatures in play. So it's super powerful. It's way more powerful than the other like 5 mana zombify effect. Um, I don't know exactly like what the shell is going to be, how we're going to fill our deck, our graveyard with creatures while putting um, enchantments and artifacts um, in play, but this is a very worthy payoff if you can solve that riddle. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a fragile deck because you're going to be all fucking in on the graveyard if you do this. Yes. <laughs> but it, it'll be fun to try to pull it off. But yeah, I mean, at this high on the curve, at this price point, you gotta you gotta dream big. Are there artifacts that like mill you every turn? I'm thinking like there's the blue enchantment that every turn like functionally surveils, and then it flips into a land if you have like seven in your graveyard. Well, that's search for Ascanta. There's also chronic flooding; it just dumps your whole library into the graveyard. Okay, chron oh, all right. The Dan Shriver classic chronic flooding. We can play your. <laughs> surveil nonsense exactly <laughs> we can play. that's an enchantment we want to sacrifice <laughs> you want to get rid of that enchantment <laughs> so you don't have any more uh perpetual time piece there, there you go that moves you every turn that's a nice okay one. <laughs> why do i know these cards yeah i don't know i don't know it's an intriguing uh, intriguing idea david all right so now on to six mana where these cards should not be playable and yet somehow somehow they might be and i'm looking at gruff triplets here and i'm just thinking this might be good enough david it, it might be good enough yeah very powerful card so three green green for a three three trample when it enters a battlefield if it isn't a token create two tokens that are copies of it and then when gruff triplets dies put a number of plus one plus one counters equal to its power on each creature you control named gruff triplets so without any shenanigans without anything else you play this you get two three threes assuming your opponent doesn't kill with the trigger on the stack and then, okay, in combat, one of them dies. And then it immediately pumps the other two by three. So you get you go from three, three, threes to two, six, sixes. And then whatever, you dread bore a six, six. And then they get a 12, 12. And they all have trample, which is the crazy part. <laughs> They're so big, you just like, you almost just can't kill them. It's too risky to kill them. You just have to let them be alive. <laughs> just take nine a turn as long as it takes. <laughs> Well, right, that's my thought. Like, I don't think you can beat this in combat. And that's just like baseline gruff triplets. If they do any kind of shenanigans, if they make any additional tokens, if they copy this, if they copy it with a Seeker's Chariot, it's just it's just way too much. So I almost think you just have to be like, okay, you got your triplets. <laughs> I can't use the combat stuff anymore. I got to go over the top of my key some other way. And I think some decks can do that, but some can't. Yeah, I, I think the main weakness that this card has is how vulnerable it is with the trigger on the stack. So we have a lot of red effects that deal three damage at one mana, and that's specifically because people are worried about um, Grease Fang. You know, so that, that effect is actually really good against Gruff Triplets. You kill this before the other two three threes come down. So then it's a it's a six mana that, all right, I traded a card for card, and you got two three threes out of the deal, which is still good, but not as catastrophic. Yeah, but they still, that's still pretty good. Like two, three, threes, no, and when it's one still, of them I'm just, dies, yeah, I'm just, the other one becomes a six, six. That's still yeah, pretty no, good. I, it's fine. Yeah, I'm, I'm not saying you like defeated the six, the six drop, but like you spent one mana and they spent six mana. 
I mean, the real the, the real problem is the opportunity cost, right? This isn't a five or less permanent, so it can't be hit by the like the car that operates mono green. So you need a different shell that this is better in. Well, you're gonna play that um, perennial behemoth neoform deck with the fairy adventure, and you need a six drop the neoform into. This, this yeah, might this be the best it. one. I I can't. This think is the best one because I'm gonna neoform this <laughs> into a seven. <laughs> and what a time that will be. <laughs> Your also, this gets play. plus one, plus one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Extra power. <laughs> uh, speaking of Neoform, this next one's pretty good too. This is not a proper six drop because it has cost reduction. But let's take a look yeah. at Hearth Elemental. I think this is actually pretty good. All right. Hearth Elemental, five and a red for a four five. But it costs X less to cast, where X is the number of cards in your graveyard that are instant, sorcery, and or have an adventure. And then the adventure is Stoke Genius, one in a red, sorcery adventure. Discard your hand, then draw two cards. This card seems great. So unlike Bedlam and Reveler, the ba- the main thing it does that, that I like about over Bedlam Reveler is it triggers itself if it's in the graveyard. So it sees its friends if they died before it were discarded or looted, and they reduce the uh, the hearth elemental you have in your hand. Bedlam Reveler is so sweet that, I mean, it was almost held back by the weird corner cases like drawing multiples or whatever. This doesn't have that problem, right? You don't have to discard your hand. You can just get a one mana four or five, which is not bad, right? Yeah, I mean, you you point uh, the comparison to Tolarian Terror. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is that Tolarian Terror is not a Pioneer playable card. We thought it might be. You know, we experimented with it. Other people did. And the conclusion seems to have been from sort of the pioneer cognoscenti that it's it's not enough. So this does add text to it, which gives me some hope that maybe there's something here. So it's one cheaper, counts other copies of itself in the graveyard, counts other adventure creatures in the graveyard, like Bone Crushers or yep. whatever. So that that's already an upgrade. It doesn't have the ward, fine. And then on top of that, you get the option to just use it as this tormenting voice. Not Tormenting Voice, sorry. What What is that card? Dangerous Wager? Discard your hand, yeah, draw Yeah, Dangerous two. Wager. Yeah. yeah. That's an instant, but yeah, function the same. So I don't know how good that is. I mean, that ranges from horrible to a filter to actually a, a two-for-one. Like, if it's the last card in your hand that you just drew two, and then it's a straight-up three-for-one. Maybe I'm just, like, imagining that this is always going to be good in every scenario, when in reality it's not. But I just, I just love the options. I love the options. I love putting Riel in play and then casting Stoke Genius. <laughs> yes. Yes, David. This is it. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think you want to play this in a deck where you don't use your graveyard for anything else so that them trying to attack your graveyard becomes a very big negative. Okay. Which is what I really enjoy with Riel. People often bring in like graveyard hate against it, but I'm often not playing Treasure Cruise. So you're just like minimizing the power of huh. a creature I haven't played that's drawing two or three cards a turn. And I think that's what you want with this. You don't want to play it with Treasure Cruise, that's the real opportunity cost. You probably don't want to play it with blue. Are there other shells you can play where you're still filling your graveyard with instant sorceries? Maybe just straight up just a bunch of adventurers and it's just a two mana four or five. Like you're not all in on the super combo part. And like Dan, you're saying in the late game, it just turns into a two mana draw two. Attached to a four five. Into a four or five. Yeah. All right. We're almost there, David. Got a couple more adventures to go. <laughs> one more adventure 
What do you make of the horned lock whale? It's four blue blue, six six flash, ward two. Enters the battlefield tapped unless it's your turn. So that that's kind of a bummer, but if you flash this in on your opponent's end step, it comes into play tapped, so you're not gonna ambush a creature like that. But it is a giant six six with ward two. On top of all that, you get the adventure Lagoon Breach. One in a blue instant, the owner of target attacking creature you don't control puts it on top or bottom of their library. That's a clean one for one, that effect. Worse, obviously, than Aether uh, Gust or something, but it's it's like not that overpriced for that effect. Yeah, it's, a, it's an Azorius Charm. There you go. S- slightly worse Azorius Charm. What's the difference? Azorius Charm puts it on top. Uh-huh. Oh, I see. This gives them the option. Okay. So it was actually nice uh, back in the day for old people like me. You'd Azorius Charm a creature even if you weren't worried about the damage because it locked in their draw. Like you'd Azorius Charm their Immutable and you know that their top deck is now bad. Mm-hmm. So that'd be nice. You'd just have them cased. Like you, if you knew that you just had to survive like one more draw, you'd, lo- you'd lock their draw step. So how realistic is this? Is like a, just a card that control can play? <sighs> I wanted this card to be good because you know I love like flash effects. Mm-hmm. The coming to play taps is just so bad. Like, first of all, it's already faced up, right? It's in it's in adventure. Even still, they won't let us have our fun with these flashcards. Like, even if it's in front of my opponent that I have this, they won't let me surprise a creature. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they think it's like a bad play effect. Like, oh, I see that you have it, so I don't attack. It's like it lets them play around it, and they still won't let it. I just that's that's a huge blow. Also, the removal effect. Again, the format is just very polarized around certain opening uh, sort of lines of play. And this not interacting with uh, Mana Elf is why Azorius Charm doesn't see play in blue-white control. Mm. Even though Azorius Charm, I think, is a very powerful card. If there was no Mana Elf in the format, I think Azorius Charm would be a four-of in most blue-white control lists. But there's eight <laughs> Llanowar Elves in the format. And so, like, Mono Green can win without ever going to the combat step. And, and blue-white control just, like, can't live with that. And because it can't block it at flash, I mean, it's just that really harms this card. Like it, like at six mana, I'd I'd much much rather cycle Shark Typhoon. Interesting, but at two mana, I'd rather play the adventure if I could. Right, I could but at every other level, I think I'd rather have the Shark Typhoon. Interesting, because this is going to be eight mana to not block. <laughs> I mean, it's just crazy they they don't let you block with it. I saw someone on Reddit was talking about how this is modern play. I was like, what's going on right now? What What's happening here? I wish this card, I hope this card, I hope I'm wrong. I mean, I love effects like this. I would love for this card to be playable. I just, and I think they did a good job like pushing the adventure half to be, like you say, it's a straight up one for one. It's very rare to say that on curve. And then it's like a six mana flash or two is like, okay. And then it has a huge downside. I, you're going to have to play it at sorcery speed almost all the time. Because you're going to desperately need a blocker. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's the Horned Lock Whale. Any other cards you want to shout out, David? Um, I would like to briefly talk about the dragon here. Uh, Realm Scorcher Hellkite. Mm-hmm. It is another bargain card. It's like super powerful. So four red red for a four six dragon. Bargain. Flying Haste. When it enters the battlefield, if it was bargained, add four mana in any combination of colors. And then one in a red, it deals a damage to any target. 
So it is a little bit of a reminder, I think, of uh, Chandra Holmes Beacon in the sense that it's a six mana mythic rare. It comes into play and kind of gives you a bunch of that mana back. Chandra uh, Holmes Beacon can plus for two mana of any color, I think. This gives you four mana back, assuming you sacrifice something. Uh, if there's some two card combo here, maybe this is doable. I think Chandra just ends up being a little more powerful, but like the fact that this even has a way to use the mana is actually super cool. Like, even if you have nothing else, it just gets to, like, do two damage somewhere. Okay, so you're getting the 4-6 Flying Haste for sure. You get the four mana, you can put that into two pings if you have nothing else to do. Yeah. It also fixes your mana, if that matters. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, it's just six mana for a dragon, you got a bargain to... Gosh. I'm skeptical. Yeah, I mean... The one thing I will say is if you're playing like in the dragon deck, you probably have some treasures lying around. But yeah, like how many six mana dragons are you going to play? Even though like blue red Chandra list has kind of like gone away, uh, you know, it, it was it was really there to victimize black red. But it struggles with mono green. I mean, you just kind of have to draw the right cards to get to six mana in a, in a given game. It's, it's not obvious you're going to make it there. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. I think we've made it. Yes. Probably a few more cards that if you read really closely, they're playable, but I think we've covered plenty at this point. So what do you think? I mean, what are, what are your impressions of the set? Power creep comes to mind. I mean, I keep saying that just the obsession with putting cards within cards, like every card is, does so much now. I think some of these just like have to be playable. They don't fit into known decks, which I kind of like. There's no straight upgrades except that random one for modern. Yeah, I I love the design of this deck, uh, excuse me, of this set. Uh, I think the uh, adventures, they scaled a little bit farther back than I would have liked. You know, for all the talk about how adventures were too good, I think they're really just referring to Lovestruck Beast and and, um, Bonecrusher Giant. Um, and so all that complaining and those cards weren't even really that good until they banned a bunch of other random cards, <laughs> uh, like Oko, etc. So yeah, I, I wish they'd maybe pushed a little bit more, um, on a few adventure cards, but the non-adventure cards, especially, I, I love the new mechanic. I love bargain. I love the, um, real tokens, the crewing up with these enchantments. Yeah. So I think this set looks really awesome. I, I could I could imagine the Beseech card getting banned in a format. I, I won't speculate where, but like just because the tutor ability just somehow seems like it could be broken. Like a smarter person than me will figure out how to do something really cool with it in Pioneer. Really? Okay. Or modern or legacy, like somewhere. Like tutors that give you all the mana back right away, like even though it's four mana, like you say, there, there's got to be something there. Yeah, for me, I don't think it's any of like the big headlining cards. Like that one, I think is going to disappoint. Um, but it is cool. I think that this is going to be one of those sets where I just want to mess around with the one drops. Like that's all I really want to do. Like there's so many one drops in this set. Like I love the the one mana three two that comes with a curse token. I love the fairy that comes with stun counters. Even though I don't understand what stun counters do, I still <laughs> like it. I like the you know the rat out that makes a token. I I like the hopeless nightmare that just the Lava spike that discards any number of one mana things that make roll tokens. And they're all so good. There's just so much. And I, what I hate is when they give you a cool effect and it costs like three or four, 
like the Ashiok. Right. That's just like a, such a bummer. Like here, all these things, they cost one. So I'm like, all right, <laughs> at least I know I'm not getting that bad of a deal, right? If I'm going to build around the otter or the, um, that was that ingenious prodigy, the one that I totally blanked on the ninja interaction, the ninja interaction you pointed out was so cool with ingenious prodigy. There's just like so many toys here. Yeah. And like, so, sort of like we talked about the fail case of these are not so bad that they punish you. Like, I feel like sometimes they do that. They put the shiny toy out there. So if you brew the right deck and you draw the right cards, it's very powerful. But then if you don't do, it doesn't do anything at all. And these cards like do something right. Like, like Roderick is a classic example. Like a three, three haste is yeah, still reasonably playable in an aggro red deck. But if you do the thing, then you're getting really paid off. Yeah, I, I think that there's like a ton of hits in this set. I mean, I like the Bunnicorn a lot. I like the Mana Rock. Uh, Up the Beanstalk could be good. Uh, Sir Ginger's sweet. What's on your list? Um, My list. I think the number one card I want to brew with is a Tortoise. I don't know how good it's going to be, but it just seems like it does so much. Um, Number two for me is for sure the uh, 3-2 guy. What's his name? <laughs> spiteful hex mage the spiteful hex mage yeah and that'll probably be our first card since you and i are both such big fans of it right like that'll probably be week one i already have a couple lists built with it so okay and then roderick and then um tough cookie i think is like the forgotten like (laughs) mvp this card is so good okay Uh, i think it fits it i think the black green uh food deck i think the blue green food deck um, and then I think Sir Ginger is just like a super powerful card. I'm excited to brew around it. I, I think just on like pure value, it's, uh, it's very good. Right. It's not being get into once a turn and then it gives you the scry and the buff, which is kind of huge. <laughs> it starts as a three, one <laughs> somehow. And, and like you said, like, okay, it's ridiculous. You have a planeswalker, the nominal best deck in the format plays planeswalkers all the time. And it is the type of deck that takes advantage of these kind of mid rangey decks that rely on some artifact interaction. So you just like get the buff and the matchup you need. Cause the, the one card I'm actually afraid of is the, the four or five um, Hydra because it actually blocks our goose and ginger can't attack through it easily like the five toughness is like really tough oh you're gonna play the goose mother okay oh yeah <laughs> all right well, turn turn know. one gilded goose turn three gil- goose mother make a food turn three attack with goose mother with sir ginger in play and buff it and then turn four make a food if you if they don't kill your goose and like buff ginger again or like play wicked wolf sack sir ginger if it sucks like kill something all right right. that sounds sweet yeah yeah that's a good top five yeah i mean what you're excited to just play with one drops that move cards from one zone to another (laughs) i mean i think those are the ones i'm going to be using the most but i mean i love the turtle as well i think the turtle's super sweet and i mean you know i love shadow prophecy so i'm always up for a rowan's grim search there's so many cards here there's so many cards i can't name any of these and be like oh this is going to be good but they're going to be fun be super fun yeah i mean i think some i think some of them will be like legitimately good though like i i think that red uh instant that gives plus two plus oh and then puts a roll i think that card's actually gonna just like make red white heroic like very good again 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, that and and or the house mouse, both of those seem like upgrades for the deck. That monster roll, monstrous rage, like that that card seems great. Yeah, it's a shame. Like, it's not a card I want to play, but I, I think it's good, and I think people are going to kill me with it. And I, you know, God bless them. <laughs> <laughs> I'll probably take Bard class for a spin again. I mean, you have to play with Ruby. That's just. You gotta do that. Oh yeah, she's so good in there. She's so good in there. Um, I also oh the other card you guys talked about it, but charming scoundrel. Mm-hmm. The card just like fits everywhere. I didn't even mention when we were talking about Roderick. That's another card that always gives you two tokens. So that's got to be in every Roderick list. Yeah, super sweet set. I'm impressed. Yeah, su- super impressed. All right. Well, I think that's it then for our set review. Five hours later, we got through it. And yeah, I think, is it next week already we can start to brew? Or there, there might be one week off. I'm not sure. September 5th is the online release. Okay. So yeah, I mean, that could be next week. So normally what happens is they let you build the decks online. So I will try to have my normal like 10 shells built out just for people to take a look at, critique, improve upon, etc. Uh, just like along the lines of what I'm thinking about. Yeah. And again, most of those lists end up getting played at least by me in the weeks that we've, you know, picked some of these cards, but hopefully it just gives people some like ideas to start from and then they can make them much better. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. All right, David, it's been a pleasure. Yes. All right. Take care, everyone. We'll see you next time. Peace. This concludes our brewer's guide to wilds of Eldraine. Tune in next week as we peer into the depths of the magic mirror and kick off our brewing season. Support for this podcast is provided by brewers like you. Join the Faithless family and help support the show at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing for Discord access, bonus content, and more. That's all for today. Stay safe, and we'll see you next time.